does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Some special music for a special announcement here today. Well done by the producer, great Eddie Garrison. This is the Fan Midday Show, and what a fabulous day outside. Hopefully you're driving around central Indiana, streaming wherever you may be, windows down. It is a glorious day as you're tuned into the Fan Midday Show here. I'm Scott Agnes, back in the chair for the next couple of days, and as usual, joined by my co-host, Jimmy Cook. Jimmy, always good to be back with you, and right now, so much going on. Somewhat surprisingly, honestly, in the sports world, you can go a, a bevy of different ways here. And I think, as usual, you, the default, you go here to the NFL. And uh, as little nuggets of the schedule, NFL has just mastered how to become a 365-day-a-year product. And, well, today, uh, announcing the international games, five of them going overseas and Surprisingly to me, at least, the Colts are involved, right, Jimmy? Colts, Patriots, November 12th. You're going to have to wake up extra early, 9.30 in the morning. Not exactly my cup of tea. Your first reaction, first on just the Colts in particular, going overseas and being part of this international product. Well, first of all, I've had my team that I root for in Kansas City be overseas before. And let me tell you, if you're worried about it as a Colts fan, like Scott mentioned, because it's it's a fair fear to have initially on oh, an early morning game, you know, what's the process going to be like? You mm-hmm. have brunch now, or you have, you have an early breakfast. Instead of <laughs> I, instead of hamburgers, <laughs> you're having biscuits and gravy. You're having bacon. You're having some, some sausage. You are enjoying, if you're not going, which by the way, if you're trying to have a, a trip overseas that you haven't made before, uh, you, you couldn't think of a handful of better destinations get an opportunity to go to Germany, particularly in, even though the word rivalry isn't as strong as it used to be, it's going to continue to be thrown around whenever it's Colts Patriots. Great matchup in general to have out there, but if you're staying stateside, you have an opportunity to turn your game day experience into instead of worried about burgers and hot dogs you're having like I said, biscuits and gravy and some pancakes and just enjoying some Colts football international style so very excited about that additionally i feel like somebody that is in need of an intervention like i have some type of problem in my life and the nfl is just continuing to pull up my heartstrings <laughs> and, and pull me further into an abyss of okay i'm starting to get a fix now they're dominating the calendar as they always do and oh, the schedule doesn't come out until thursday what am i gonna do oh you're gonna tease me with just a just a couple mm-hmm. mini releases here like the, the black friday game <laughs> and and some of the international matchups so all across the board. I, I love it. Obviously, we're all NFL people in some capacity here in the studio, so we enjoy and embrace the 365 calendar dominance that the league has, even though this is as comedic because it doesn't mean anything in terms of what's going to happen win-loss-wise. It's still good to have the intel, have the information, and if it's an international trip like this one, Scott, gives you an early opportunity to get ahead of booking that trip out if you're a Colts fan wanting to go to Germany. I was going to say so many times, there's so many different places where you want to visit throughout the world, and Sometimes you just need that push. Maybe it's a friend that's over there already you can stay with. Well, here's your perfect opportunity if you needed that, that extra push going to Frankfurt. 
I'm not sure what the weather's like in November, but Colts Patriots. I, I, here's the other good thing about this, especially for the local market right here. This is not a Colts home game, meaning they're not losing yes. one ticket uh, opportunity to go over here to Lucas Oil Stadium and attend the game, see their favorite team. Here's where my disappointment is. This matchup, which I will not call a rivalry because it is not right now. Yeah, it hasn't been in a long time. It has not for a decade. It certainly was, and it was tremendous when they played year after year after year. I would much rather, Jimmy, for this to be another team. Colts-Lions. Colts-Panthers. Give me a give me just an average game over there. Because reality is it's just an average. For me, and I laugh too because you talk about brunch. To me, brunch is like noon and one. That's yeah. my perfect No, that run. usually is for me, too. But I got a little excited with, with my I options. I could tell. So, yes. Yeah, very excited about that opportunity. But that was one of my disappointments here is the matchup. That needs to be here in Indy or in Foxborough. That's too special, or at least it has been. So here's my argument to that. They set up, and it's a very complicated system that I don't really want to get into, but basically the NFL assigned territories mm-hmm. for which teams have the ability to market on social media to certain international territories. They basically divided the map where can you have a strong social media presence? Not to say there can't be like fan organized ones in those countries. Like there, there's, there, there's, I'm sure Colts fans of UK or Chiefs fans of UK, but it's not officially team branded. The NFL decided we're not going to let everybody just go like a wild, wild West aspect of it to advertise your teams overseas. We're going to divide you into territories. Sure. So with that being said, there's only a handful of of dance partners, if you will, that the Colts could be paired up with to get an international game. The other one could have been Kansas City. Kansas City's going to have a game uh, on Germany as well. But that would have been pretty exciting across the board, particularly when you think of the fact that if Anthony Richardson is starting by the time that this matchup arrives, you would have the young up-and-comer rookie hopeful against the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. So that's already going to be a star-studded match to begin with. Now it's Colts-Pats. Again, not as much flavor. Uh, Right now it is Matthew Judon and Jonathan Taylor as the front (laughs) athletes of the posters there. You can't put Anthony Richards in there just yet. Right, can't do it yet. So obviously Jonathan Taylor is the next face of the team in terms of your hierarchy of what you can do for that promotional poster. But I joke about that to say, you're right, I would rather it be another matchup. But if the option is... Just for the fan experience, and I enjoy the thought of growing the game internationally. If the choice is another game at Lucas Oil or another game at Foxborough versus seeing them on the international stage and getting that golden ticket, so to speak, to get to go internationally, I'm willing to sacrifice it for a matchup against a rival that is only really in that name versus what has actually taken place on the field the last Nine years. Yeah, leave it to the NFL to make schedule day when you literally already know who they're playing and where. You just don't know the dates to make well, so that. So you're Will Haskett's camp then. Because yeah. me and Eddie were like, oh, yes. it's a beautiful thing. We no, can't this wait. is the we're dumbest thing. We're very excited. Thing. Okay. Okay. No, to me, unless you're around it. Tough. I'm getting, I'm out, for those listening here, I'm uh, outnumbered here. (laughs) Two to one of people who care about a schedule. Now, here's where I will make the exception is when you're involved with it. So like when the Pacers schedule coming comes out, there's several different things I'm looking at. But in general for Colt's schedule, I mean, it doesn't affect any of us really directly. Sure. So I, I just can't get too excited about it. And the other thing here is like you, you look forward to a primetime matchup in November. Well, then you remember something could get flexed. A quarterback could get injured. A quarterback could get benched. Yeah. So it's, it's so much. I mean, look, we're... F- <laughs> Two months ahead before training camp 
to the point where, yeah, then I'm absolutely on board with Will Haskett, where it's, all right, it's nice, it's notable, it's absolutely story-worthy and talk-about-worthy here, but, all right, so what? Scott. Let me help me let, out. Let me, let me let me let me bring you up to speed on this because we had to do it with Will. And granted, we, are, <laughs> we already have an answer now today, thanks to some of the little nuggets that have been passed along sure. from the NFL to tide us over until tomorrow night. Who was going to get that Black Friday game? First time ever there's a Black Friday game. Who's going to get that? Oh, it's Dolphins Jets. Okay, a little AFC East matchup. Uh, two teams that are hoping to be in contention for representation of the AFC in the Super Bowl next year. Okay, that's great. Who's going internationally? What are those matchups going to look like? Oh, the Colts get their ticket punched. Mm-hmm. Are the AFC South games going to be stacked early in the season again <laughs> to the point that the division really doesn't matter by the time you get to week 14? Who's got the first 9-11 game? Exactly. Like all, all these questions. Where, 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 where is everything going to line up? Are we looking at a three-game road trip in the month of November? What is going to be at stake for a timeline where Anthony Richardson can come into play? When's the bye week? When's so, the so bye week? Here's where I differ. I completely agree with that. But my voice level is not raised up like you. It's, oh my goodness, when is the bye? I'm over here like, okay, that's important. All right. Or do they start on the road yet again? When's going to be the home game? Jim Irsay wants to win the they, first correct. game. That's the What's other the thing. We need to start be? breaking it down. We need to watch the tape. You got to win the home opener. You got to win the home opener. Jim Irsay's emphasized that for over a decade now. Yep. Okay. So we'll note that. See, but that that's exactly that's your point. You're you're at like a two. Yeah. And I'm at like an eight, Scott. It's right. the schedule release. Yes. We're, <laughs> we're four months away, bub. Oh, man. Just wait until <laughs> wait until training camp. Yeah, <laughs> this is our this is the tone that we're taking now oh, that's for the fantastic. schedule release. Wait until we get to training camp. You know, you know, Jimmy needs one of those patches because he's going to start twitching here. Yes, any minute. And, and I am. Indeed. No kidding. I'm the one over here chugging the <laughs> venti coffee. Uh, it sounds like you've already had two of yours. Yeah, it's just water today, folks. Or it's just dr- you drinking the schedule. This Nonetheless, is, it, here it's just just the schedule <laughs> is, straight to my veins. I think yeah. In all seriousness, I think my only problem with it is just the opponent. I I much rather, for me, it's much like Indiana Kentucky basketball game. That deserves to be on campus. It doesn't feel right as much if it's only a neutral site. Same thing here with Colts Patriots. Let's throw Colts Falcons, Colts Panthers, Colts Jags. Although that's a <laughs> not as likely um, outcome here. And and to your point earlier, Jimmy, I would agree. If you're actually trying to take this serious, the NFL has to spread it out. It can't be Jaguars four times. They're going to be. They're already becoming the first team to play back to back weeks overseas this year. No surprise. One's a home game for them. One's a road game. So only losing one true home game. Right. But yeah. So there you have the the five overseas games, and that's one a couple of the little nuggets that the as you said NFL continues to sprinkle out here. Dolphins Jets. Honestly, that wouldn't do much for me except. Now what we've seen with the transformation with the Jets. And so another time to see them in prime time. Black Friday, for me... It does now, though, right? You said it wouldn't move the needle for you now, generally, but now that Aaron Rodgers is in New York exactly. and the way that offense is going to look, plus Miami and whether it's two or not, Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, I mean, it, yeah, one of the most explosive offenses in the league. I have so, so many question marks about Tua in particular and both. the Dolphins. Yeah. Therefore, trying to get my hopes up about a game in late November... For a guy that had probably three concussions yeah. last year, I'm not sure he knows. That's where that side yeah. of it is a little bit hard to get up for. But I'm all for that Black Friday game, actually, because I think Black Friday itself has kind of lost its 
allure. Like we're seeing Prime Day in July and Prime Day in January and back in the day. Back in, oh my goodness. Why yeah. do I sound like I'm 50 right you, there? You, you, you've crossed north of 30. It's the <laughs> danger for all of us and you've, you're there. No, but Congrats. I remember. Oh man, I remember grabbing the newspaper and tearing out the, the sections for your best buy, the tech stuff for me. And then you, I'd go in and buy some Christmas gifts. Uh, and for, that was Black Friday for me as a child. It was a, you know a Toys R Us. Little, I don't think I've done booklet, a Black just trying Friday. Trying to circle it and give it to mom and dad. I don't think I've done a Black Friday in five years. It's just not relevant. Yeah, I, I was Cyber really, Monday. Yes, yeah, that's where you go, right? <laughs> the comfort behind the computer or the mm-hmm. phone or tablet, whatever, and, and get your deals there. Yeah, I'm with you. And, it, and it's an open day on the sports calendar across the board in terms of what's available for you at Black Friday. Like, sure, you might have your you have your Feast week games going on in basketball. So, like, those are there, but that's not going to threaten the NFL. You have your occasional, like, college bass or college football games that maybe are taking place, some of those on a special on Friday or your games on Saturday. So, it's an open avenue uh, with what Amazon, and that's the other big thing here. And people knew this when the announcement happened with Amazon, <laughs> to your point, Scott, being such a dominant factor, not just across the world, but with that holiday and changing what Black Friday is from a shopping perspective. It makes sense for the cross-brand promotion too much that Amazon wouldn't want to put their, you know, get their beak wet in this regard oh, with their sure. NFL deal to get a Black Friday game. Out and you need a relatively intriguing game to yes. get it started, to get the yeah. eyeballs, to then train fans. Every Black Friday, come back. We have a game for you here yes. on whatever Prime Video. Yep. Last night, couple of NBA games that we'll certainly spend a lot of time discussing. Philadelphia stunning the Boston Man. Celtics. Celtics just do not look like themselves. Do they regret some coaching decisions in the last year? Uh, they lost by double digits. Then to follow that up, another double digit game. I, it felt very much like last off season, or postseason where the most games were decided by double digits. This was Jokic's Denver Nuggets winning 118-102. Coming up here later on in the program, first up we'll talk with Joel Erickson at 1230, probably about a Colts schedule. Uh, Jimmy can't contain himself no, I can't. over there. Tim Bontemps, ESPN reporter uh, covering NBA, will join us at 1.30. Then some more NBA talk. Maybe Matt Ant's G League talk as well at 2 o'clock. We'll be joined by Kevin Dana, the play-by-play voice of the G League team for the Warriors, the Santa Cruz Warriors. So several th- different things on tap. And before I want to get back to those NBA games, a couple news items that kind of came in during this opening here to the Midday Show. First of all, Coach K joining NBA and as a special advisor to basketball operations. I swear that's that's the perfect gig, Jimmy, is when you're ready to retire, become a consultant, become a special advisor. <laughs> Coach K's figured out and and I, while well, I joke about that, also brilliant basketball mind. Yeah. So if you can loop him in both with his experience in college basketball, Hall of Famer in terms of coaching, relationships, he knows that down. And also, of course, with USA Basketball, if you can loop him in, fantastic. And also, I saw Woj noting this, and earlier I'd seen Michael Grange up in Toronto already referring to it. But J.J. Reddick saw that interviewing for the Toronto Raptors opening. Not to say he'll make it far down the road. He might. But I like this opportunity. He's obviously one of the smart minds in the game. Just a few years removed from it. Those of us in media and those of you listening at home, him getting a job like this would be a detriment to all of us because he has one of the best, in my opinion, basketball podcasts out there. It's not the fluff. It's not the hot takes. 
it is true basketball. We need more of that, in my belief. But uh, I think this is a cool, unique opportunity. I'm not even sure he'd be willing to do it right now because of his young kids and living in New Jersey, New York area. But kind of interesting because I think more than anything, Jimmy, one outstanding former player with a great pedigree, guy that doesn't have a coaching resume, and you could debate, I and mean, we surely had a ton of that debate here, right, in the last year with Jeff Saturday, where, whether that's how it's special to involve a former player, but also what kind of experience do you need. Um, but nonetheless, cool opportunity, I think. Probably, a at least at this point, even though they're a couple years removed from a championship, a opportunity to build something in Toronto, right? You're not going to a spot where, like, let's say, for instance, Boston was to reopen their head coaching position, they... Yep. Hire J.J. Redick immediately. Your expectations, not just with that franchise, but with where they are from a roster standpoint, are championship or bust. You look at experience versus opportunity and where those two cross over and intersect. And is it beneficial for both the player and the franchise? I mean, look, this isn't a G League opportunity where you're working your way up that way, right? This is legitimately on the big time stage. Do I think that somebody like J.J. Redick and, and the you know years of experience he has in the league could do it? Yes. But I feel like leaving Jeff Saturday out of it for a moment, just sticking with basketball. I feel like too often franchises get mesmerized or they fall in love with the former player and it it doesn't always pan out. It doesn't work the way that you want it to. Obviously the most bitter taste in anybody's mouth is is Steve Nash, how he kind of felt like jumped the line to get that opportunity in Brooklyn. And then it it didn't Mm -hmm. work out the way that he thought it would. Jason Kidd, I'll give Maybe him credit. Maybe for very different reasons. Sure, though. yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff within That's that. That's a thirty-minute segment yes. in its own right. For, for for sure, Jason Kidd, I thought would eventually kind of flame out, but the fact that he was able to hold his ground and and, and stay amongst the ranks as the NBA head coach shows you that it can work. It's not always going to be perfect, and it takes you know learning on the fly to be able to make that transition from player to coach. But and why did that happen though? In part, what did he do in between? Went to the Lakers and sure and yes and was willing right. to be a top assistant. Yes, not be the lead guy, have an influential role. I think that's incredibly important. Right, doesn't have to be for ten years. You don't have to be a lifetime assistant, but you have to be in it every day. I think Reggie Wayne, for example, to bring it local, got a very good taste of that because unless you're in it, you have no idea the different things that you have to deal with. I mean, the one thing I always point to with these coaches, especially even an assistant. Half your job is being a psychologist. Right. Half your job <laughs> is listening yeah. and talking and understanding the player's need and meeting them there. Maybe making a phone call for them, guiding them through, talking them through what it's like to be a pro. Especially take a look at like the Pacers, right, where they started the season with an average age of experience of like three years. They were, I think, an they were average of 23 years old maybe to start the season. That is so young. Just coming out of college. So you need that experience that you can lean on. But yeah, to the point, though, I, I think it's important to these guys to at least get a couple years on the bench before becoming a head coach in most cases. Just like anything in life, right? Ultimately, unless you're playing, like you're out there in the trenches every day and you've done something close to it your whole life, the work hours and what you're preparing for might be the same, but the amount of activities you're having to do on a daily basis are drastically different like you said can be almost fully jaw-dropping if you're not prepared for it so that's why you often see 
oh, this guy's been on the bench in Oklahoma City for three years, and you know he's he's developed something special. This is just a hypothetical guy sure. made up with Shea Gildas Alexander. Let's give him a shot here with our staff uh, in Dallas. You know, like that. Th- those are the past that you usually see. So. On the one hand, I'm with you. Like I, I enjoy what J.J. Redick has done on the media side of things. I enjoy the way that he's been informative for the game and been an ambassador for the so game good. in that regard. So good. I get the itch, though. I get the idea of wanting to transition into coaching and get back into really the front lines of the game that you love and has been a part of your life for so long. He's a curious guy. Mm-hmm. And again, quite honestly, you have to be to be in media and to talk about it and run an hour-and-a-half podcast once a week. You have to be genuinely genuinely curious about that job and about coaching here's the thing i almost guarantee you outside of the pressure of like drawing up a play within 30 seconds he knows the game we don't need to argue that it's relationships in the game scenarios would you challenge that what does your staff look like are you too far away disconnected from the game um enough uh, is what i'm getting at there like LeBron's older than him, I'm pretty sure. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, an interesting sure right. thought comparison, right? And so you want to arm your staff. Like, if it was me, obviously, you want people you know, but if I'm a rookie head coach, I want to arm myself with a staff of experienced veterans within certainly the Certainly at least one former head coach. Right. Yes, absolutely. That That's, I would, I would, if I was the team owner, GM, it wouldn't be a mandate, but I would also. Make sure he saw me when I said you you need to hire a former head coach on your staff to make it work because there's so many things you're not prepared for that nobody else can prepare you for. But they, this guy could at least help you out with it. So very early in those stages, we're not even sure what the Toronto Raptors want to do in terms of quick rebuild, rebuild on the fly like the Pacers used to talk about. Or is this something where they trade off several assets? Right. I know Pacer fans are certainly checking in on that and hopeful that maybe the Raptors. Um, run by Masai Ujiri, one of the best in the league, wants to get moving on some pieces, you know, maybe rebound, rebuild around Scotty Barnes, and you're willing to move off of a guy like OG Ananobi, those sorts of things. A name but, that's been coveted across the board in rumor mills yeah. throughout the league. By the way, uh, seven months older is J.J. Redick than LeBron James, both mm. both born in 84. So, there wow, you there you go. Yep. Thanks for that uh, little nugget. Just, though, just doing what I can. Oh, no, for sure. But, <laughs> is, is that a... Uh, peak to trivia later uh well it all, it, it all depends Maybe. It all depends if we were taking advice of uh some of our programming directors what we're doing for the contest uh <laughs> contest winners we'll get to that uh in a little bit i would assume that's probably a 2 30 assignment today based on our our schedule for yeah certainly not twelve twenty two. that's a great point <laughs> yeah no kidding about that one but um yeah, NBA playoffs. What piques your interest right now with this? I'm very concerned from afar, obviously, yeah. about what the Boston Celtics is. They were this was all set up for them to go own it. Now with the Milwaukee Bucks stunningly out in the first round. And did you see that tweet from Giannis yesterday? That was really interesting because you don't see that very often. You do see the inspirational posts. You hear his inspirational comments. You hear his dad corny jokes after games. But yesterday, and a lot of times, you should understand, a lot of these pro athletes don't run their social media accounts. I believe, based on this voice that we've seen from him, I think he does. And he posted a photo of him very kind of determined on the bench, about to come off for intros, and said, I'm tired of the disrespect, I'm coming. There's a handful of reasons for him to be upset. And and he's already shown it a little bit, right? Number one, 
regardless of where you land, if it was insightful or if it was him just being annoyed, I landed on insightful. I'm referring to his interaction with that reporter a couple of weeks ago where they asked him if the season was a failure and he went off asking if every season but the six where Michael Jordan won championships was a failure. We've all heard that sound bite by now. But again, clearly just annoyed by that aspect of it, of how this franchise or how he's being perceived despite the fact that he's an NBA champion now, despite the fact that he has an MVP to his credit, a couple MVPs to his credit. For the then firing of Mike Boonholzer, who it felt like at least from afar, again, we're not in there, like by all accounts, he and Giannis had a really good relationship yeah. together. There's a lot of things that he could interpret internally as disrespect. That amongst the fact that it was it was a disappointment, whether he thinks it or not, it was a disappointment for Milwaukee fans and for the NBA afar that you can't them. argue the other one. No, no, like I get, I do get what he's saying, and we discussed this when the comments. It's came a very out. nuanced message and idea, I right? Think. But it's when your expectations shift as a franchise. So, too, to what determines a, sex, a successful season or not. For the Bucks, a couple of years ago, may, maybe it wouldn't have been viewed as championship or bust. Now that they have an NBA championship to their name in the last two years, now that they have this great core that, again, was a top seed in the East that has continued to dominate the conference in terms of where they're viewed in power rankings and Vegas odds and all that, the expectations have shifted. For the Pacers right now, it's not go win a Larry O'Brien trophy next year. It's make the playoffs. Expectations and what is deemed a failure change based on what you're doing as a team and how you're put together. So, yeah, you're right. It, it can't be anything other than that because of where the expectations are for that franchise right now. Entirely, yeah. But, but I get it. He's, he's frustrated. He feels disrespected. Who knows who their head coach is going to be, what they're going to do there in terms of the next iteration of Giannis in Milwaukee. But... I so have come accustomed to him being the soft-spoken, never really having like joyful, enthusiastic, no cryptic messages on Twitter. Correct. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's great. Joel Embiid, right? It's great that you're saying that. Well, we talk about how the NFL season doesn't start for four months. You've got five months before he's arriving, or, or he, he's coming to come after people for this disrespect. So I don't know. I'm not Bobby about Portis. Messages. And then Bobby Portis had like a goodbye message almost. I don't know if you saw that yesterday. It was like a tweet. It was like a Milwaukee, thank you for everything kind of deal. It was like very odd on the timing of it because it just made me feel like that. Uh, that's one decision that's already being made by the front office there in Milwaukee because they've got to decide what they're doing on Chris Middleton and they have to decide on what they're doing with Brooke Lopez too. They have a lot of decisions to be made. And where I wonder, in part, did it play any factor in this conversation, disrespect in terms of the coaching decision and maybe the future direction of the team from what Giannis presumably heard from ownership? And we should note partially new ownership, which always changes a lot of things. And that's something we can get into and a lot more coming up the rest of the show as we steer this ship on the midday show. But we'll take our first break and on the other side, talk some more Colts, them going overseas what does joel erickson of the indy star and other beat writers have planned perhaps for this trip we'll talk about it on the other side as you're listening to the midday show here on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
Welcome back into the Fan Midday Show. Earlier today, finding out that the Colts at least know one date on their schedule. Colts, Patriots, Sunday, November 12th, 9.30 in the morning. Yes, that's right, because it's being played over in Germany. And to talk about that game specifically and a lot more, we welcome on to the Midday Show here, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Joel, thanks for joining us. Do you have your hotel booked yet? Because that's probably the first thing I would be doing. Uh, no, although I, I do think that my, the people of, uh, uh, ahead of me are trying to figure out, uh, you know, can we get the flights, that kind of thing, because this is a little bit different than uh, than some of the other games. you gotta, you got to get, get on this one right away, right? I, I, I haven't flown overseas very often, but I think the prices go up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, you you got to get ahead of that generally if you can by six months, ideally. But no, my first move I think would have been find the closest Marriott and uh, book that one just for now. The league, the league for some of these, <laughs> the league for some of these uh, overseas games, there's like a league hotel for media, sure. and that's where you want to be. So sometimes, well, it makes it easier because there's usually like shuttle buses and stuff which help keep you from getting lost in another uh, in another country. Um, although I didn't have any trouble when I was, like last time I was overseas for a game was London with the, when I was covering the Saints. And I mean, your phone does all the same stuff there as long as you have the right plan as it, you know, as it would here. So I didn't have much trouble there, but Germany might be a little tougher since the, the language is different. Joel, what do you remember most about that first international trip? Because I would imagine for you know some of the the younger beat writers or you know more inexperienced beat writers are still getting their feet wet. For example, we've had James Boyd here a couple days, and we were just talking to him about you know first year as a beat writer with the Colts that you would want to ask some of the veterans what an international trip is like for you. What was that first trip like uh, when you're with the Saints to London, and how at all will you be better prepared this time when you go? Cover from in the fall well the the hardest thing is that the the, the week I went the, the week I was in London was the week after the entire NFL uh, knelt during the anthem um, and so like we were over there the entire week the Saints were over there the entire week and I don't think I got to ask a question the entire week because they were the only NFL team there the Dolphins didn't show up until like Friday and basically the entire world's media was at every practice, which is not, I don't think that's how it works normally when you're over there, but because of the story, uh, it was it was like, I mean, like just, just these huge gaggles of people. So I think it'll be very different. I think one of the things was, you know, just uh, kind of soak it up if you can. When you, when you have the full week over there, when you have the full week over there, I, I don't really anticipate I mean, maybe the Colts will do that, but I don't anticipate the Colts doing that. But I, we had two, we had two days where there was no access, so I I walked like a ton of London. Wow! Um, and uh, just to see it all, because I'd never been there before. And then the other thing I did, if, if if anyone's ever in London for a game, like I went to a, a QPR Fulham game match in uh, in 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 QPR's stadium, and that was awesome. Talk with um, my bad, Joel. Go ahead. It was just, it was just like we our, our guy in the cab. That's the other thing. Listen to the listen to the locals because we were going to go to one of the big like league games, and they were like, no, no, no. That's going to feel like kind of corporate. Like if you want to get the, what the real English football is like, go to this game. And man, were they right? It felt like I don't know. It felt like a professional. Like 
like a, the high school like locality, but then like a professional stakes. It was it was crazy. We're joined by here by Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Joel, have you got any reaction in this short time from anyone from the Colts side of things? Are they excited? Did they know it was coming? Um, and also to that point, part of me thinks this could be really good because this forces the team to be together, kind of like a training camp all week when they're all all they have is each other over there in Germany. I think that can be good for a young team. I think. Uh... I think they probably have known about this one for a little while. I think the NFL gives teams a little bit of a heads up. You know, we've known that it was Patriots and Chiefs over there for a while. And my assumption is that that, uh, the other teams get get a little bit of a heads up on that, too. So I think they probably have known about it. Um, I bet they're excited. I, I would bet that, you know... You know, team owner Jim Mersey is, is excited to go to Germany. You know, he, he loves that kind of stuff. Um, the league expanding and the league the league being all over the place. So I, I think he probably loves it. I think for the for the coaches and stuff, it's more just a, a little bit of a headache. I'll be interested to see if the bye is right around there um, because it's a little bit of a headache with, with traveling over there and then coming back and managing jet lag and all that stuff. So it's a little bit of a headache, but... Um, a little bit of a test for Shane Steichen too, having as a first-time head coach, like making his decision on when to go, how to handle all that stuff. I'm sure he's got somebody he can lean on for some advice. Joel, I'm sure you'll admire my creativity here with this next question. You know that game's going to be in Week Ten, and I can't help but notice that the promotional poster right now. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's on there. You think uh, anybody else in the Colts roster will be uh, on that promotional poster by Week Ten, perhaps of the uh, quarterback variety? Well, I've I've been thinking ever since they drafted him, and I listen to Shane Steichen and Jim Irsay talk about, you know, you have to play him to, for him to get better. I've I've been thinking that it's that he's going to be on the field a lot earlier than that. Um, so yeah, I think I think Anthony Richardson. If, if if I had to guess, I think Anthony Richardson is is starting that game in London. It's probably not his first start. Or, sorry, in, in Frankfurt. That's probably not his first uh, start of the season. Right? It might be like his eighth. Is that from? just your philosophy on it like everybody has a take on it or is that from where you think Shane Steichen will will have him and have observed him to that point obviously we're simulating a lot here and I know you've seen a little bit of him at rookie minicamp but there's still so much to unpack by the time training camp comes along is that just what you would do with the youngster or is that what you think will be seen on the field by the time we're at week four or five or whenever you think he'll get under center I'm I'm going off of what the Colts said. You know, Blue Steichen and Ursay said, um, you know, the best way for someone to get better is by playing. And obviously, uh, obviously Richardson didn't play a lot at Florida, so that's something that's something else to consider. And and I thought, you know, Chris Ballard obviously kind of pumped the brakes a little bit when I read, went back and read through those quotes and listened to those quotes again. Like I was thinking to myself, you know. Uh, it sounds more like he's talking about like level of play. Don't expect him to be Superman from like a he's you know winning the MVP in his first year type of thing. I don't rem- really remember him saying we don't know if we'll get him on the field right away. So and the other thing is Steichen has been asked multiple times about Gardner Minshew being the season opening starter, and he's kind of he's kind of downplayed slash pushed back on that both every time he's done it. So. I do think that there's a possibility that Richardson is starting, and it's it's mostly based on what I've heard. It's it's less of 
Uh, I mean, who cares what I think? I do, I Joel. Know the Colts don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the Colts don't, um, but I, I think that the, I think that that's what. It, at least, and in a perfect world, you would absolutely have him be your day one starter. But I see right now is you truly need to see what type of command he has of the playbook, what he looks like with his teammates. So I totally understand the Colts, at least publicly, not even wanting to make it out that he's day one starter because they physically do not know until you can really see him with the line with all those different type of weapons. Joel, we are having this conversation, Jimmy and I here. Where do you stand just in general on the release of the schedule um, beyond kind of the selfish needs? Are you thrilled with it, or are you one of those that are like, all right, let's just keep it moving and move on to the next news subject with the Colts? It's kind of just a box to check off. We yep. know who the opponents are, so I kind of know. I kind of know who the. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, what we're Completely agree. It kind of goes. I, I think. I think the things that I end up looking at uh, are kind of what you said. There's a lot of logistical stuff if you, if you travel. So like, you know, you're looking at okay, when are we going to the north? Like last year it was like okay, we're in Minnesota in December. What is that like? Is that going to mean a delay? Um, <laughs> Are there are there flex games on the schedule? We had to do some weird stuff with how we travel to Minnesota because when they initially released it, it was like a flex a flex game. And then the other the, the really selfish thing I do is wherever they're on the road in September, um, and I know that there's there's some other guys at the B do do this is is I check the Major League Baseball schedule to see if anybody's in town. <laughs> Classic. Uh, but but that's that's pretty much it's it's. Yeah, after doing this for a while, it's and the other thing I've learned is that the schedule, like what it seems like tomorrow, uh, when it when it gets released, like the stretches that look hard and the stretches that look easy, that almost always seems to change. Um, once you get into the regular season, even even when it's a good team, like I I remember uh, when I first got here in eighteen, looking at the back half of the schedule, I was like, oh, these teams aren't playing very well right now. Uh, this that should be easy for them, and the Colts did go on a run. But by the time they got to some of those teams, they were all playing really well. And it kind of had that kind of happens every year, where you think the schedule looks one way, and then it ends up kind of manifesting itself a different way. Joel, I'm going to try to be as rational about this as I possibly can. When's the bye week, Joel? How many AFC South games are going to be in the first four weeks of the season? Are we not going to recklessly speculate what record the Colts will have by week 12? <laughs> Come on, man. The schedule's great. It's the opposite of me and Scott there. <laughs> uh, I get it. I understand as, as you get on the beat that it, it probably changes a bit, but it, it's the mystery and the NFL has, has their hooks in me, Joel, and they have, have their hooks in all of, all of society. I Jimmy, you're it. the reason they do it exactly like yes, this. Yes, I am. How they... You know, here give one tidbit to Good Morning America. You're welcome. And Earth. another one to Good Morning Football. Like, come on, <laughs> cross eye bear. <laughs> I, I thought it would just be for you know road. I, there's a lot of Colts fans that travel for these games, and so I figure for for anybody who's got that on their docket, tomorrow night's pretty important because you want to know when you're going to, you know, whichever city. I I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to cast aspersions on any city other than Jacksonville, but. Uh, you know, some some might be more attractive than others. So if you're if you're the, one of the fans who travels, I think tomorrow night's a, a pretty big deal for you. Yeah, that's fair because the two I'm thinking of right away: Cincinnati, Tennessee, both both interesting matchups. One di- more divisional. Who doesn't want to go to Nashville? And Cincinnati is really good. Yeah, I mean, you get to see Burrow and Chase and all those guys. 
Um, there's 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 a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, if you want to go to if you want to go to Carolina, uh, you're probably going to get to see Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. You know, that's that's fun. Rookie quarterbacks are fun when they're playing to me. Um, and and uh, yeah, like I said, just there, there's a reason to go to almost every city, with the exception of Jacksonville. <laughs> Joel, when you look at where the roster is right now, and you look at the whether it was undrafted free agents they signed or, or the needs they still have, and you look at the available veterans that are on the market, do you think the Colts are are done at this point? Barring you know a, a need if an injury would arise at some point between now and September, do you think they're done with off season signings? They always end up signing somebody in this range, and then they always end up signing somebody in training camp who ends up playing some sort of significant role, uh, whether it's due to injury or whether it's just uh, a player emerges where they didn't expect him to. So there's probably going to be some minor signings. I I don't know that I see anybody on the the market right now that I think the Colts are going to go after as a, you know, somebody who, who moves a needle right away. I think you're more looking at, like, the type of signing where you go, where you're halfway through the season and you're going... Oh, I'm surprised that that guy's playing this much and having this much of an impact on the game. Joel, one of the things I always find curious is outside of the main conversation piece. So outside of Anthony Richardson, Colts obviously had a, a active draft. Outside of that obvious story, what's maybe the one player that intrigues you the most? You're tracking or you fell in love with his story or, or his perseverance to get where he is today just trying to make this team? Um. Jake Witt, the the last pick of the of the yeah. draft, is interesting to me. Um, teams teams do this, like a, a lot of teams do this, where they take somebody who's super raw and has incredible tools, and they try to make somebody into something. And a lot of times it doesn't work, but when it does, it's real fun. And I kind of, I kind of, you, you can always suck me in with it. If you tell me a guy has has incredible traits, maybe hasn't played a position that long. Um, the ceiling's super high, and you know that it might not it might not go great. I uh, I'm always in on that. I always want to see how those guys go because, like, you know, like the Eagles with Jordan Mailata at left tackle. That was a seventh round pick. He's now one of the better left tackles in the league. Like, that's that's fun stuff. So that stuff like that is the stuff that that interests me. Joel, last thing on my front, we asked Mike Chappell about this yesterday, Joel Erickson joining us of the Indy Star, about the Colts signing and just the the great story of Butler's Tyler Adams and everything that he had had to overcome. Uh, You also had had a perspective of that about the different ACL injuries and COVID and everything that he went up that's up on the Indy Star right now. Yeah, it's it's a crazy story. If I I told you that a, a guy who played at Butler or a school the size of Butler had missed three seasons, three consecutive seasons, essentially, with he, he took some time off because he was at Harvard and the academic stuff. He was just he was at an internship. Uh, and then COVID took a season from him. And then his ACL, he tore it twice, and it took all but a, a couple games from him. If I told you that a guy had 18 catches at Harvard and then went to Butler and put up a pretty decent season, you'd be thinking, okay, that's that's a that's fun. That's a cool story for Butler. I don't know if I'd see him in the NFL, but he, he fought his way in. He's got great straight-line speed. He tested in the low 4-4s four at his pro day. Um, and then they brought him out here for the tryout, and he, he made it on the tryout. So it's it's a really interesting story. It's it's crazy to think that 
he's gonna he's on the ninety man roster right now, just given all the stuff he went through in college. But he did it. He he, he got his chance and he made it count. Joel, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we look forward to the full schedule just being announced that as a whole here in a couple of days, don't we? Get excited, Joel. <laughs> I'll leave the excitement to you guys. You guys are way more excited about it than I am. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. That's Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. Might just be me and Eddie. It was, yeah, it's definitely just you guys. I was trying to hint at, let's just get the whole thing announced at one time here in a couple days. We can put it on our calendar and keep it moving. To be clear, I would have been fine without the little leaks here and there. In fact, I, I always forget that they do that to kind of build it up a little bit more. Jimmy, I'm fine with just the drop out of the sky at 8 o'clock, but it's not like that, Scott. More than that, they're even teasing the tease of partial of the schedule. Yep. Hilarious that there will be a game dropped on Fox and Friends, another one on CBS this morning, another one on the Today Show and Good Morning America, one on the NFL Network, one on ES, like Let's just sprinkle it in take care of our partners they're playing into more of the uh, casual fan audience or maybe those that don't even follow the league there with the national programs and then cater Mm -hmm. towards your sports audience i would presume for you know the other things like black friday that'd be a perfect game to announce to your your fox and friends and cbs mornings because who isn't you know around on black friday and looking for something to do and entertain perhaps the kids or or whatever so it's just hilarious but at the same time i gotta clap my hands and commend the nfl for actually creating this out of nowhere it's a marketing machine of epic proportions scott no kidding and they've done it well i'm just trying to jump on the train that's all i'm trying to do trying to (laughs) trying to trying to stay out of the way not get hit and be along for the ride so colts patriots november 12th 9 30 in the morning so you're gonna have triple quadruple header basically so you'll have 9 30 what like noon or one four o'clock and then sunday night football how long until we have games on tuesday and wednesday well that's, that's the next that's the, run, that, that's the that's the running joke slash maybe not so much of a joke in terms of the nfl's desire to dominate as much as they can of a seven day week unless they're going to start inventing extra days i don't, I don't know there's at some point going to be capped out but all jokes aside man that just that just I don't know about Eddie. I'm sure it didn't do that for you, but man, I'm getting hyped just thinking about the idea of of, of just 12 hours, 13 hours of football all throughout the day, starting with a little Colts 930. I was unmoved by any of this. It's like we get to experience what people on the West Coast get to experience because they have football. Yes, Eddie. You know, at ten o'clock in the morning. I don't want that. If you, if you've lived, I do. I do, Scott. I'm sleeping in till ten. If you've ever lived. In a different time zone, and I, I did it for a year, and it wasn't drastic, right? It was just Chicago, so it was just the hour. That's but particularly huge. when you look at the NBA schedule too, like th- these NBA playoffs are wrecking my sleep schedule, and it's fine. I I I I enjoy it. I still power through it, but that extra hour, oh, it's a great luxury to be able to have. If you're an NFL fan, to Eddie's point, out west, you pretty much still have your whole evening by the time even Sunday night football is done. Like you still have, if you want to go on town on a Sunday, you have the ability to do that. A little taste of it when the international game comes. And then those people out west get to complain about 6 a.m. for a football game? What are we doing? Uh, not my problem. I'm out here in east. It's always Eastern funny for me, zone. like right now with it being baseball season and there's always Sunday night baseball. Like this past Sunday, they were in San Diego. And it was 
Padres Dodgers. It's like this isn't Sunday night baseball. No. This is Sunday <laughs> afternoon baseball. <laughs> it is for them, yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah. No, I'm. I would love. I think that's why for from a sports perspective, I think kind of your Denver, your Mountain Time mm-hmm. is ideal because instead of Phoenix Denver tipping off at 10 p.m., that's eight o'clock. So it's over at 10 10:30. Then if you're diehard, you're getting into the post game conversation. You're listening to a podcast. You're calling a couple buddies about the game. For us, it's 12:30. I'm still wired, so I'll be up for another hour, right. even if I don't want to. I'll still be angry like Charles Barkley about the fact that we're going to be on the air for another 45 minutes at one in the morning. But, you know, like you, I'll power through it. And that's why that show's so good, though, mm-hmm. because at those hours, you can't strictly be about basketball. No. You'd be about life, whatever's going on. And we're a part of that as well. This is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, and myself, Scott Agnes. Step aside, come back, and uh, talk about a little bit about those games from last night. Philly, Boston, Phoenix, Denver, and of course, a couple games that are on tap for tonight as well. This is the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. A glorious day here in downtown Indianapolis. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show. And last night, a couple of NBA playoff games, and they were kind of duds on both ends. You had the early game, Philadelphia, 115-103 over the Boston Celtics. It's Embiid going for 33. Maxi, who's a stud and really making his presence felt in the playoffs, going for 30. And now they've really taken a, a stranglehold a little bit of that series up 3-2. And then after that, Denver does the same thing. They are so good on their home court. And any NBA team and fan knows that Denver, Utah, one of the great advantages just because of the logistics and the elevation and, and all of that. And Jokic triple-double, I think nearly by halftime, 29 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, getting that triple-double as the team shot 49%. Two more games coming up this evening. And we'll talk about it more on the other side. But Miami, New York, 730 tonight followed by Lakers Golden State will this series be over or are we gonna maybe see it to game seven we, we want a lot more of that series Jimmy Cook Scott Agnes Eddie Garrison more NBA talk Colt schedule and a lot more on the other side this is the fan midday show whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you this is the fan midday show I love that bump Jimmy I know you're probably obligated to play that from the indie car that was fantastic man I'm dreaming on about that a little bit now we got your energy up a little bit uh, it's all, oh, my it's all, energy's it's been it's up talk. it's just not there for the schedule release. <laughs> the schedule that is very bland for me, as listeners heard in our first hour. What if we incorporated the IndyCar sound there <laughs> into somehow the schedule? With each game yes. that we announce. Yes, it's like a transition sounder, yes. you know? You're like, yes. all right, week one, the Indianapolis Colts. Yep, yeah. there you go. There it is. That's how Maybe we, that was that's how we get Scott over in. There. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how we bring him in. And then if, to get Will Haskett into this in aroused, I should say a sports arousal, yeah, uh, we got to get the golf club, the driver on yes. the tee shot. Yes, absolutely. Ooh, swish of the net. Oh, there's that would be its own 
thought process in its own right. What's one of the best? What is the best sound in sports? Swish of the net, swing of the club. It'd be hard to top IndyCar, quite honestly. The turn, yeah, the, t- t- the hitting a hard turn here in IndyCar. The sound of a it's no glorious. Da- the sound of a no doubter home run. How could you spinning it off of Aaron Rodgers? How could you not be romantic? about the Indianapolis there 500. Go. There you go. Anyways, brilliant job by Eddie. I loved hearing that coming back. Got my blood pumping here as we enter hour two of the Fan Midday Show. That's Eddie. Jimmy over here. I'm Scott. Thanks for listening in. And uh, we didn't get much time to talk NBA in that first hour. And I know, Jimmy, we have a lot of thoughts on that. Is Boston done? Can Does Phoenix have enough to overcome both teams down 3-2 now? Ordinarily, my thought from last night would have been, Boston's not done. It's fine. Like if they just would have just been a loss, you just see it the next morning, right? But you just watch the way the Sixers were able to take advantage of, uh, you know, the lack of days will go at times, defensive outlook by Philly. That combined with the fact that had you told me last night that Tatum and Brown for Boston were going to combine for 60 and it was going to be basically a blowout. Like they score showed it a little bit closer than it actually was. Sure. Pretty much a blowout throughout that entire ball game. I would have been really surprised. Is this a the only thing I could think of for comparison? And and Tatum's not on this level, and Jalen Brown's not on this level. But it feels kind of like a real legacy game. This is too extreme, I know, but I think back to when Miami had to go into Boston down three two, and that was had a real legacy magnification there because LeBron went off in that game at like 45, 15 and eight at the garden. They end up winning in seven. You're going to need a legacy like performance from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, both on the road in Philadelphia. And you arguably had from a scoring standpoint, that type of performance from them last night. And it still didn't matter. And they still lost. We were joking with, Matt Moore of the Action Network yesterday mm-hmm. about how realistic should it be of a Miami Philadelphia Eastern Conference Finals. And that was obviously before Philly stunning the NBA world last night. And now we're on the doorstep of it. Now it's where had you given me a pick of anybody in the East, I don't know that I would have taken Philadelphia or Miami Neither. Nope. to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Here's the better question, Scott. Do you feel more confident in Boston's ability to force a game seven or Golden State's? Golden State's. Curry? Is that the main reason there? Is it is it Curry? It's is leaning, it the whole dynamic? It's, it's everything. And I could go, let's start there. It's, it's Stephen Curry, first of all. Because one thing, as Pacer fans should be watching closely, is it's about stars to win in the postseason. Yes. It's about elite players. It's cute to have depth. It's cute to have seven players in double figures in a March game. Look last night at a team like Philadelphia. 33 points, Joel Embiid. James Harden, 17-8-10. Harris chipped in 16. They had one player with any real offensive contribution off the bench. The bench points were relatively minimal. 22-16. and 16. The difference is the stars. Boston, a big donut for Al Horford. Just seven points for Derek White. Marcus Smart, I don't think he has. He hadn't been 
as good as he was the last couple of years. I know he was defensive player past past year. I'm not a big fan of what he I'd like to see more Derek White Brogdon to finish those games. But to me, when you're talking about this matchup, I specifically with Boston and Philly, I think of it less about a legacy game for Brown or Tatum. And I think it more as becoming a pivot point for the franchise. Yeah. If they lose like this one, much like we're going to see with the Milwaukee Bucks, changes, and I don't just mean one player, or it could be a new coach. Joe Mazzulia has not been good this series. And I think you're seeing the inexperience shine through. We don't know how much, you know, what it might look like if if Ime Adoka was the head coach. We don't know what it might look like if they were able to keep Will Hardy. Honestly, it'd be Will Hardy, I think, as the head coach if he remained there and did not take the Utah Jazz. Well done by Danny Ainge yet again to lead the Celtics, go to the Jazz, take the bright, shining coach, and let him thrive. But to me, I think the Boston Celtics are now approaching a pivot point here where if they don't come back, to go and lose in the second round when they were favorites, especially once the Milwaukee Bucks lost, which was a stunner, this this is a lot to process, and I think changes would are certainly inevitable then. And to build off of that, what do we talk about all the time for teams with NBA championship aspirations? We talk about experience. We talk about having players that have been there. We talk about having a young core that have been there. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown took LeBron and the Cavs to seven six years ago. This isn't a young. This isn't a young team yeah. anymore. They went to the finals last year. We talk about oh, you got to get that playoff experience. It's going to help you in the long run. Yes, changes are inevitable if they end up dropping this to Philadelphia because th- that's no longer a excuse, right? It's like okay, yeah, we're inexperienced, sure. we're, we're young, we're still missing a couple pieces. We'll get there. No, you just made a trip to the finals last year. You have what you think is your next great duo in Celtics history in Tatum and Brown. Changes are forthcoming there if they wind up dropping it. And it goes to a larger point as well that we talked about yesterday. And I'm willing to kind of believe it now. I'm not to say that I wouldn't pick Milwaukee or Boston again next year. There's a window of parity arriving in the Eastern Conference. A whole offseason could change that. You could have superstars move teams. But there is a window of parity that is present within this conference where if you're a Pacers fan and you look at a young core, I'm not saying it's a run to the finals in two years. But you realize, okay, there's a lot of these top-heavy teams where maybe they have one star in place, but like us, they have a lot of moving pieces they have to figure out. It, it evens the off-season playing field to an extent. Boston can still spend all the money and be the big city they want. Mm-hmm. That's never going to change. But it puts things more into perspective of how quickly you can maybe turn things around in Indiana with where the Eastern Conference is right now. I don't think this series has been like at the fault of the players I think it's more so on Joe Mazzula mm-hmm. than it has been on Tatum Brown. That's Smart. part of it, yeah. Because I mean, yes, it is Joe Mazzula's first round or first go around as a head coach in the playoffs. But like some of the adjustments or lack of adjustments that, therefore, from him as the coach of that of that team, uh, it's kind of alarming. Because last night, especially Joel Embiid, just kind of like had his way. He was comfortable mm-hmm. the entire game. They didn't really give him much traffic. Or any 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 sense of like un- being uncomfortable, so I think that's one area they have to focus on. And then you know what the Boston Celtics or you know what the 76ers are going to do in the final minutes of a game: pick and roll, 
and ISO. Those are the two things that they're going to rely on in the pick and roll with Embiid and Harden, and they can't defend it even though they know it's coming because they don't make the, or haven't made the defensive adjustments yet. What this shows, for one, is winning is incredibly difficult. No matter what talent you have out there, very difficult. Yet at the same time, I would say over the last half dozen years, it's felt like the Celtics team, strictly talking big picture results, like where you're talking about with the Bucks and Giannis. With them, you enter every season championship aspirations. I think that's the same way for the Celtics for the half, last half dozen years. And I acknowledge they got to the finals, had a real chance last year. But generally, they've underachieved in the postseason. And that's why I believe this, this enters a pivot point for this franchise. And, and I completely agree with Eddie there. The biggest issue I've had has been the coaching staff, lack of adjustments, lack of what we've seen of how they defend Joel Embiid. We all know what Joel wants to get to, get to his nail, set guys up. He's going to score, try to dominate. And at the same time, too, I mean, even leaving timeouts on the board when they need him. Fundamental things like that, and part of it, too, goes back to this offseason when they moved on from Ime Odoka because of the issues, concerns, allegations, whatever within the franchise that they had and didn't want anything to do with them after that, that's where they would have really thrived, I think, bringing in a guy like Frank Vogel to be there by Coach Missoula's side and help him through all of this because it is a lot to ask as a first-year head coach. To We were talking about J.J. Redick, right? It's one thing to go into a franchise that's probably rebuilding or in, in the middle of restarting where it's at. It's another to go to a, a situation like the Bucks are after right now. They have a head coach. That head coach, the demands day one, win a championship with Giannis, maximize his window, and that again was, of course, the, the situation with Boston last offseason. It is star-driven. But we saw it the other night, and I, I hammered the same point that you mentioned, Scott, which is that, yes, it's always going to be stars. Your stars have to shine in the playoffs across the board unless you have just a generational talent team that does it together seamlessly. I say like the Spurs, but again, the Spurs had Hall of Famers left and right. It wasn't like there weren't stars on that team. Tony Parker, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard uh, throughout <laughs> that process, too, even though that was the, the smallest stint and not really part of that core. But... You would ideally like to see your role players, your contributors like that, perform well at home to be able to take some of the burden off at home. We joke about what are they doing in November versus what's a role player doing in April, May, June. Then you have a performance like Lonnie Walker the other night for the Lakers that they're going to him at the end of that game instead of LeBron James, instead of Anthony Davis, something that's truly baffling. But he answered the call and, and Boston didn't get that. Right, they, they didn't get it from any of their supporting cast outside of what Tatum and Brown brought to the table. Is a large part of that probably button, button pushing and the adjustments and lack thereof that Joe Missoula has not done to this point to Eddie's mention there? Yes, I do agree with that, but it's now a look in the mirror at this core of where they're at. Al Horford, even though he's still amazing continues to get older. Marcus Smart, like you mentioned, looks like he's taken a step back this year compared to where he was a year ago. And again, these are all curses or struggles that any team that's at the bottom of their standings like the Pacers right now would welcome. You would love to have these problems. That's part of trying to be a champion and in contention for things. But when you don't have any trophies to show for it that aren't banners that have been hanging up there where the most recent one is collected 15 years worth of dust. Yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah. gets frustrating for a franchise. And I think it goes deeper than just Missoula in terms of what 
the Celtics really need to do this offseason if they end up getting bounced by Philadelphia. Now, that being said, give all the credit in the world to Tyrese Maxey because you had a average game. Maybe you could argue you didn't need it, but you had an average game by what James Harden has had to do this series. He only has 17 last night. But again, you didn't really need much more from him. You got 33 from Joel and 30 from Tyrese Maxey, who has blossomed into a true part of this trio of dominance that Philadelphia has been able to put together this postseason. So there's options there for Philly. I still, much like Golden State, even though I'm with you, I believe in the Warriors more. I'm still not going to believe Boston's done until it's a <laughs> it's a 20-point advantage in the third quarter you of Game 6. You can also, because they are so reliant, the Sixers are on Joel Embiid. Yes. And one uncomfortable fall, one something, one soreness that he wakes up with, and that's an entirely different series. Part of the reason, among many, I thought Celtics would win the series is I didn't think Embiid physically would be able to make it through and would have a couple games that were average for him, which is you know 15 and 10. <laughs> right. But a lot of these guys, you see them go through this grind, get to the postseason, maybe have to play 35, 40 minutes per game. That's difficult, especially for a big like Joel Embiid. And a lot more to come on this here in about 15 minutes, or we'll be joined by Tim Bontemps of ESPN. He was in Boston and covers these teams quite regularly, so that will be a fun conversation. We got a couple games tonight, Miami Knicks, Lakers, Warriors. And Jimmy, earlier asking, who do I believe in more, Boston or Golden State for the Warriors? Warriors, it's got to be, it's for me, it's got to be the Warriors because of Steph, because of Kerr, who I believe is the top five coach in the league. I do value that championship experience, but I will say, if there was ever, ever an argument against it, it was the last game because the Warriors completely crumbled. And it wasn't just one guy, it was Draymond Green running the hammer play. First of all, I question why the Warriors even ran that play. You know why it's called Hammer, right? Darvin Ham. Yep. You you're not running the guy's play against his own team. Also against a guy like LeBron, who knows every team's plays. Yep. I mean, like your Peyton Manning's, Aaron Rodgers. They've seen it all. You saw Clay Thompson, who I would allow easily to take half court shots comfortably, taking these fadeaways with 90 seconds left in a one possession game. And then you had Steph Curry in all his brilliance, you know, nearly at mid court. And I'm not sure, did he not know they had a timeout left? Just chucked it over his head trying to create something. Use the timeout. You have the possession. It's a one-possession game. A lot of faults for a team that a lot of us lean towards because they have that championship experience, that continuity for the, from the last decade. The main thing for me with why I still believe in this iteration of the Warriors is the home and road splits that you saw throughout the regular season have still been a factor here in the playoffs. The line right now is Warriors by seven. If you're looking at this matchup for what Golden State could do tonight, you're expecting, like, I am expecting anyway, another blow-up performance. Like, they're win by 15, maybe 20. Really? Just like they did in, in uh, game two, right? That's the type of response I expect from this team because that's what you've become accustomed to from this era. What and I want to get Eddie's perspective on this because he's he's followed the rotations and the lineups and he'll tell me if I'm being too aggressive on this. <laughs> you need if he's trusted, if he's given more minutes, which would be a very Steve Kerr thing to do when all the volumes and the doubts are around one particular player. Usually, see if he's talented enough, some type of involvement early on. Over under nine and a half points right now for Jordan Poole. He got ten minutes. Oof. 
Yeah, in sorry, they had ten minutes in Game Four. Didn't score a single bucket. Five points game before that. Six points in game two. Jordan Poole's not the only factor in this game. Obviously, it's Curry. You need north of 30 from Curry and probably another 27-point performance from Klay Thompson. Jordan Poole needs to win his minutes, and you need valuable contributions from him for them to have the type of statement game that I think gets them back into the series. I don't even think it's more so Poole. I think it's more so you need effective shooting from Wiggins, and you need aggressiveness of Draymond Green. Like, those two, I think, make a bigger impact than Jordan Poole because if Jordan Poole is making shots like he did in game one, he's going to hurt you late in the game because he's going to think he's Steph Curry and he's just going to jack something up. And like that has been the big thing with Poole is like he has talent to be good in the association, but it's like there's times where he thinks he's too much like Steph Curry and sure. he thinks it's okay to take 30-foot step-back jump shots early in the shot clock or just kind of heave up just random shots and then or pound the air out of the basketball mm-hmm. or try to make a flashy pass and force a turnover. Like, he just has to figure out how to play within himself. And I get it. He's 23 years old. But, like, when you look at how he performed last year in the playoffs, his splits were 51, 39, 92. Right now his shooting splits are 34, 28, 76. I hear a lot of half-truths in that to me in, in terms of – Jordan Poole. What you don't need, you're right, is for him to be firing it up unless he's wide open in the corner, late yes. game situation. You do need that confidence, that good arrogance almost. There's a, a lot of goodness that also comes out of that from him and, and or any player that has to play at this level. Six of 11 from three in game one. Since 0 for 8. That can't happen. You need a couple of threes from him in this game. And it's funny to see kind of his arc, right? His career arc as a guy that came in, tried to earn his way, then really blew up. And now is he coming back down? Or what is what wave is he riding? Because also, we, we knew, we've known since training camp, since Draymond Green was pissed about something. He took it out on him. So that tells me, within that team dynamic, there's some kind of edge. And again, it might be that cockiness, that arrogance, that sometimes rubs teammates the wrong way. What they do have to do is put that aside and no, he does not need to go for 21 like he did in game one, but he needs to knock down a couple of threes, get to the free throw line once or twice, contribute 11 points and more than anything, not get in the way, not, not, not be a guy that's a detriment to the team. And he has not been a positive contributor since game one. I think when you look back at that Sacramento series, I like what they did with him. They made him more of like the point guard, per se, with Steph Curry out there, kind of alleviate the load off of Steph a little bit, let Steph get some catch and shoot, Let try to get Jordan going early in the game, like get him attacking the basket, get to the free throw line, build up some confidence. I, and that has just gone by the wayside in terms of this series. And, Scott, you mentioned that 6-for-11 game. If you remove that from his season uh, postseason totals, 9-for-43 from downtown. That is 21%. Yeah, he's not been reliable this postseason. No. And that's one of the best ingredients right now for the Warriors, Jimmy. The other perplexing thing, too, is that, and we, we praise him all the time, rightfully so, of the fearlessness to make lineup changes in the middle of the series by Steve Kerr. We've and seen we, a lot of and those, And we've seen actually. it multiple times already. Significant. Where I don't want to say that they're they're floundering, but yeah, they're in some ways searching for answers of how to counterpunch and, and, and fight back against L.A. They already played again. Gary Payton II's card, like he's already been out there now. They, they've made different rotations with, with with whether it's looks from Moses Moody or Michael Green. Like they've, they, they've tried to piece together things on the fly, and it ultimately comes back down with where this team is 
if you're not getting another jump in production from Andrew Wiggins, if you're not getting pool to, I'm not saying like you guys mentioned, he needs 25, but if he's not getting you 15 at home for the amount of money that you're paying him, you're suddenly looking around at where points are going to come from. And yes, you're going to need 60 combined, maybe 60 plus from Steph or clay to force a game six. And you're probably going to need that the rest of the way if you want to get back to the Western Conference Finals. I just, they're running out of paths. The national conversation is exactly what you and I think it is, which is Warriors probably win this game. And obviously, I'm saying that now. Lakers win in six. Put it away tonight. Put 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 it away tonight if you're LA. Don't don't let it go to another game against an offense that even though they've had their ups and downs and they've struggled on the road, it wasn't as much road struggles in that game for loss as much as it was uncharacteristic missteps by a team that doesn't often do that. It was baffling. I was stunned to see all that. I thought it was interesting to go back to their the win in the game two of the series. Balanced attack. In this one, Clay Thompson went for 30. Steph, 20 points, 12 assists. He was really looking to dish, get others involved. Draymond, 11, 11, and 9. They're all going to need those big-time performances, plus a Wiggins to get 11. Jamichael Green, he had 15 in that one, which is still funny to look back at. But this one, very interesting to see how it plays off because, as many have alluded to, Would it be the end of what we know the Warriors? I hope it's not. I don't think it should be. Because when you have something special, you let it ride. This is the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes. On the other side, we'll be talking with Tim Bontemps, a friend of mine of ESPN. He was in Boston last night for Philadelphia. And Boston will get his take on that series. Lakers, Warriors tonight. And a lot more from the NBA front here on the Fan Midday Show. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back in to the Fan Midday Show, a glorious day here in downtown Indianapolis. With Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes, and a friend of the program now joining Tim Bontemps of ESPN. He's all over these games traveling to and from, and last night was able to witness... Philadelphia's win over the Boston Celtics. And so, Tim, let's start there. What have you made out of this series? And to me, both how surprisingly well we've seen the 76ers play and Boston lay another egg out there. I mean, yeah, it's been incredibly impressive to see the way the Sixers were able to win that game last night um, and, and come through in such comprehensive fashion. We haven't seen this team deliver like that and cut that kind of spot before and they were able to do so and the biggest one yet last night and put themselves a win away from making the conference finals tim where's been the biggest degradation for the celtics being a, a whisper away from being up 3-1 in this series to now basically completely on the ropes as things head back to philadelphia well the celtics have the deepest team in the league and they have um the most versatile roster in the league and yet despite that They've really become a one-note team under Joe Mazzulla. And, and saying that, what I mean is they, they've become a team that um, is just completely reliant on the three-point shot. And, and they are, when they shoot over 40% or better in a game this season, regular season playoffs combined, they are 34-2. and two. When they shoot under 40% in the regular season and playoffs this season, they are 29-28. and 28. 
So they essentially become a 500 team when they don't make threes. And while obviously making threes and not making threes is a pretty critical part of today's NBA, a team with as much talent as the Celtics have should not be a team that is so reliant on making three-point shots. And I think that speaks to sort of the way this team has evolved under Joe Mazzulla, where last year, when Emi Odoka was the coach, they were a team that was sort of, they would, you know, Emi would lean deep for the decision-making. They, they, they played the Robert Williams-Al Horford lineup, extended minutes. They went, played Grant Williams on they kind of leaned to being bigger and more physical than their opponent. And this year, it's been the opposite. They have tended to go the other way. You know, they're playing small. They're not really playing the Horford-Williams lineup at all. Um, you know, they, they've just tended to lean towards offense in their decision-making and in their approach. And while that has led to them winning a lot of games, you saw last night when their threes didn't fall, they didn't really have a plan B. And as a result... They're now one win away from going home early in the playoffs. I'm talking with Tim Bontemps of ESPN and, and Timmy, I'm I'm curious what how big the conversation piece has been just on the Celtics in terms of Joe Mazzulla and the you know I mean, we we heard guys come out and say how he apologized for a late game situation and not using his timeouts and just I, I wonder is he a little bit over his head and, and unfamiliar maybe in this this light and they're missing guys like Ime Doku and Will Hardy on that bench. I mean, I don't really think this is a coaching thing. I think he, I think Joe has done a pretty deft job of taking the, the pressure off of his players for messing up the end of game four by saying you should have called a timeout. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is a team that has gone to the NBA Finals. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I think, together have played 84 playoff games, right? These, these are guys who have a ton of playoff experience. If you're down one with 20 seconds to go, you probably should try to attack. And if you're Jason Tatum, you probably should just go up over Tyrese Maxey and shoot the ball from 10 feet, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, like, I, I, I just think this timeout stuff is kind of silly in general. And, look, the Celtics have had three coaches in three years, right? Brad Stevens, Emi Adoka, Joe Mazzulla. What is the underlying uh, – story of the Celtics over the past three years that they mess around and lose games they shouldn't lose, right? They did it last year throughout the playoffs with EMA. They did it this year with Joe. They did it two years ago with Brad. So I don't think this is a coach thing. I think this is a team that over time has shown that it is not really capable of taking care of its business when it's supposed to. And as a result, like I said, they now find themselves a game away from losing the sixer team which, you know, a lot of people, you know, including me, thought was a, an, an underdog going into this series. Joel Embiid was hurt. And after Embiid was, you know, pretty methodically dominant in game five, did exactly what the Sixers needed him to do to win. James Harden played well. And now these guys are one win away from not only getting to the conference finals, but having home court advantage throughout the playoffs and having, home, and, and having you know, probably playing an eight seed in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, it is all sitting there for the Sixers in a way that it should be for the Celtics. And, you know, in a couple of days, if this goes Philly's way, Celtics are going to have a lot of regrets, I think, going into this offseason about how these playoffs shook out. Tim, we've been looking at kind of where the Pacers are. They're still clearly, you know, a, a year or two away from trying to get in the conversation of, okay, we should be there uh, within the top four of the of the conference, right? That's every team's dream. That's what the Pacers are trying to build towards. When you look at what's happened 
in this playoffs. Uh, the, the word I keep using is perhaps a, an emergence of, of parity or a window of parity within the East because of the playoff makeup and because of what's happened at this point. Is there a shift there and an opportunity for teams like Philadelphia and I guess to a, a lower extent from a seating perspective, Miami, to grab that? And moving forward, is there at all a changing of the Garden East with teams like Milwaukee and Boston, or do you think they'll ultimately figure it out? Well, I mean, look, the teams with the three best records in the NBA this season were Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, right? So I, I, don't, I wouldn't say that if Philadelphia wins the East, there's any kind of real changing of the guard. I mean, yes, they haven't made it through to the conference finals or the finals before, but this is a team that is a very deep and excellent team. So I, I don't necessarily see a window like that being open. You still have the Celtics being, you know, young and very deep, very talented. They're going to be in the mix. The Bucks still have John Stetokupo and, and their crew. We'll see who they hire as coach. But no, I, I don't really think that there's an opening to break through. Um, you know, and as far as the Pacers go, I mean, look, let's be honest, right? For the, play, for the Pacers to have a chance to really break through to that upper crust, they need to get really lucky next Tuesday. Yes. They need to win the lottery. If they get Victor Wembanyama and they have – you know, going forward, a combination of Victor Wembanyama, uh, Hal Burton, and Benedict Matherin, and you know, Miles Turner, and they can have some more team with some family cap space. That's a team that, if if Victor develops the right way, that's a team that could be pretty special. But you know, that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. And you look at these teams at the top of the East, right? Giannis obviously was the 15th pick, but. Joel Embiid, top five pick. Jason Tatum, top five pick. Jalen Brown, top five pick. You know, like, yeah, there's Jimmy Butler and there's there's Giannis, but generally the way to get to that level is to have top-end talent. You look out west, the Lakers, two number one picks. Um, Kevin Durant, number two pick. Devin Booker, you know, another lottery pick. Like, they, you know, the, the Pacers have done a good job of building infrastructure in place, and Rick Carlisle's a great coach, and you know, they've got a chance to take some real steps forward. Halliburton's a hell of a player, but they need some more pieces and getting lucky with Victor on Tuesday night would certainly be a big step in that direction. Yeah, very clearly a star-driven league, and the Pacers are still needing that number one guy, I think. And that's what they could hope for beginning next week. We're talking with Tim Bontemps of ESPN. And, and Tim, I've been surprised about what we've seen in the playoffs from the Lakers, from the 76ers in particular, mostly because of health. I did not think LeBron and AD – both would make it out completely doing okay. Wasn't sure about Embiid, and of course he missed that one game. But to go over to the other series that we'll watch tonight with Warriors-Lakers, what has stood out to you about that bunch, and what do you think the opportunity is here for the Warriors? Can they can they pull it together to win three in a row against LeBron and company? I mean, I think they can. I mean, let's go back to game four. Lonnie Walker was being dripped <laughs> having ATOs drawn up for him two minutes ago because LeBron and AD were not getting it done on offense, right? And Lonnie Walker almost outscored the Warriors by himself in the fourth quarter. That's both a credit to Lonnie Walker and an indictment of the Warriors that that was how they ended up losing that game. So, look, I think the Warriors are going to win at home tonight. I don't think they're going down at home. And then we'll see what happens on Friday. But really, to me, this is just going to come down to the energy and effort level of LeBron and AD. And can those guys summon it for 48 minutes on Friday in game six? Because they're probably going to lose tonight. And like I said, you look at the end of game four, and AD wasn't moving much, and LeBron was moving even less. 
and you're talking about playing every other night for the next five days, it's a lot of wear and tear on those guys. And, you know, again, what's game six going to look like? I think if Golden State, you know, I was just talking to an executive before. They said when you're in this kind of situation, you got to look at it as one game at a time. Not you got to win three in a row. You have yeah. to win one game three times. So Golden State's got to go home and get a win. And then this is a team that's won, I think, 28 or 29 straight series. They've won a road game. So they're going to feel like they can go into Staples and win on Friday. And, you know, we'll see if they're going to be able to do so. Weirdly, it's a place that they've never played well. If you look at, like, Steph and Clay's shooting numbers, they've never shot the ball well there. Certainly played out that way the first two games. But, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating. It certainly has been good theater so far, and yeah. I'm sure that will remain the case as long as this series continues. I'm sure that from your perspective, Tim, it, you know they've they've garnered the proper respect. But when you look nationally, is it ultimately going to take Denver raising the Larry O'Brien Trophy before we, we we give them the proper respect they deserve? I think if Denver gets out of the West, they'll be in that position. I mean, if they if they beat Phoenix and they beat either the Warriors or the Lakers and they take out Katie, Steph, and or LeBron in the playoffs, uh, I think they're going to be just fine from a respect standpoint. And. Uh, and look, I think that's somewhat justified, right? The, the Nuggets have not gotten through the playoffs before. We have not seen Jokic be able to hold up in these kind of situations before. And let's see if Denver does it. You know, still not over yet. They still got to get another win against Phoenix. But look, I think if they get five, I think if they get five more wins and get out of the West and get to the finals against Embiid or Jimmy Butler or the Celtics, I, you know, I think the respect factor will be there for them, and they'll have earned it. And it'll be full credit to him. And I thought you saw in game five last night, you know, Phoenix, the Devin Booker in particular has been absolutely unbelievable in these playoffs. But having to rely on him shooting 75% on 20 shots a game and defense and handling the ball over and over and over again, I just never thought was a very sustainable <laughs> strategy. And it's not really, it's a strategy by default, right? Because they don't have the depth on their team. But this is why I haven't really believed in the Suns from the beginning. And it's why they're in a 3-2 hole. Why I think they're probably going to lose this series. Because you go back to game four, you mean, everybody remembers Devin going for 36 on 14 for 18 shooting. The reason they won that game was Lance Shaman hit four threes in the fourth quarter, right? And, like, they just haven't had the depth players step up and make plays for them because they just aren't really good enough to be a championship-caliber supporting cast. And I, I think if they end up losing one of these next two games, that's going to be the story for Phoenix going into the summer. Can they find the necessary depth around those two guys to give them the help they need to get all the way next year. Tim, last thing here. Just curious, in your, you cover the Sixers an awful lot, and Joel Embiid finally being MVP this year. You wrote today about getting this opportunity, one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. How much is he relishing and enjoying this as much as he is a competitor out there? The thing that stood out to me, Scott, about that game last night was just how methodically focused the Sixers were from the beginning, right? This is a team, as you guys both know, that has had its fair share of playoff disappointments and uh, collapses and, um, you know, losing to, losing to Atlanta a couple of years ago, the way they lost to Miami last year, getting drilled in games five and six of that series. And I thought during the game and after the game last night, this team is just very focused and locked in on what it has the ability to do right now with this opportunity in front of them. And you look at, um, you know, Joel Embiid has talked to me a lot this year about wanting to do two things. He's wanted to win a championship. He's wanted to win MVP. And the reason he wanted to do those things 
is because he wants to be seen as an all-time great player. And he is now, like you said, one win away from hosting not only the Eastern Conference Finals against the but having home court advantage in the Finals against And they might not ever have a better chance than right now to get to the Finals and win a title. And I think he sees that, and I think the Sixers see that, and I think you saw that in how they approached that game last night, and I think you saw it in how the Celtics didn't, in that that's just been the story of the Celtics over these past several years, and it's been the difference to me between the Sixers this year and the Sixers in past years. Philly has eight comebacks to 15 or more this year, most in the league, and they've just shown a repeated ability to fight back from adversity and to show some steel and resolve they just didn't have in the past. And if they can do that one more time, like you said, the big fella's been spending a long time waiting to achieve these things, and everything is now potentially right in front of them. That and it means Celtics Bucks don't even advance to the conference finals. All very interesting. Thanks so much, Tim. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, guys. Talk to you soon. Appreciate that from Timmy B. Tim Bontemps of ESPN. You hear him with... Brian Winhurst on the Hoop Collective podcast, as well as he's the author of the longtime ESPN.com MVP poll, which has basically turned out to be true. I think he's done it like seven or eight years. Uh, And so he does a really nice job of kind of giving advance. This is where it's trending based on a collection of at least a couple of reporters in every media market. But good to get a national perspective, certainly there on a a variety of things across the league. And as we ended that conversation, those two things stuck out with me about Joel Embiid serious about making a name for himself beyond what he's been able to do. We all know where he really do so is not just the regular season success. It's postseason in leading the troops to victory in deep into the playoffs. And then on top of that, can you imagine, and it's seeming more likely than not, is we do, we get to the Eastern Conference Finals, Jimmy, and are we looking at Heat 76ers, meaning no Giannis and no Bucks, no Taven, Brown, and Celtics. And if you try to push the conversation further down the road, you talk about automatic changes with the Bucks and coaching staff and certainly going to shake up the roster a little bit to surround Giannis, Drew Holiday, probably Brooke Lopez, but we'll see. Celtics, the, the big conversation there is Jalen Brown. Does that continue on? Does Jalen want to go elsewhere? Um, so a, a lot riding on certainly how this series ends up. And we talk about trying to build towards a championship and getting those opportunities and how we always give the nod to the bigger markets because they have all the higher advantages, location, you know, they, they, they're they able to entice free agents more often than smaller market teams can. And you would think, oh, well, those type of teams don't have to be patient to get an opportunity to play in a finals or make it to an Eastern Conference finals. There's been injuries for Joel Mead's career. Like he, he's experienced those throughout. That's well documented. But even taking that to account, arrived from Kansas in 2014. It's nine years since that happened, and this is going to be their first appearance in the Eastern Conference Finals. There's a lot of number of factors at bay, but it talks larger about the level of patience that it sometimes takes, even if you are a bigger franchise. I mean, it's been 40-plus years since Philadelphia's even had a Larry O'Brien trophy <laughs> to their name. They've had an opportunity yeah. to raise a banner, let alone make the, the finals last time I did that was 2001 with Allen Iverson. So doesn't matter your market size. Sometimes that'll make it easier. But yes, there's growing pains. There's patience needed even when you get 
that elite level superstar. I mean, heck, there were rumblings even, what, a month ago? Whether true or not, that uh, maybe James Harden and a return to Houston is in order. Like it, it, you flip that script from the end of this weird patchwork around building for Embiid to now they're on the doorstep of the Eastern Conference Finals, and we've joked about it all week long. But yeah, I, this was not in my cards or on my bingo sheet. No. A Miami Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Eastern Conference Finals. Look, this is a perfect example of why if you want to and can, stay away from betting because I think the odds <laughs> on favored going in would have been Milwaukee. And if not Milwaukee, you'd probably say Boston Boston is hunting to get back there. They lost in the finals. They knew they should have had that. They let the tested Warriors come back and win that one. They'll be back next year. Well, it's, they're on the brink of elimination right now before they even get to the Conference Finals in which – the path is laid out in front of them very nicely. To me, I'm not sure where the odds are right now. I believe 76ers are the favorites overall. I'm taking the Nuggets, I think. Yeah, it's out west for my pick, right? It's either at this point. Not, I mean, it's, it's one of the Western Conference teams. You're looking for juice. And if you're looking for your best juice, we also discussed sure. this yesterday. It's Golden State, right? If you, if you believe that they can rally up, but I know. Yeah. I know I'm shaking big, my head for those at oh, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the audio medium, YouTube chat can obviously see it. But when you look at what Golden State still is and the idea, if you're willing to talk yourself into the fact that they should beat the Lakers, and, and Matt Moore said this yesterday, if you genuinely think Golden State can beat L.A. down 3-1, you might as well bet them to win the West and win the championship. Fair enough, because you look at the other side of the Western Conference back bracket and the conference semifinals, what you'd argue there is, and I this is to be true, I, I don't see the Suns getting to the finals. I don't see the Suns. I, this is one of those where I love Matt Ishbia, new ownership, taking over, wanting to breathe new life, and quite honestly getting a bad owner out of there. But if he could have just kept one of their wings, if he can keep – one of those wings, like a Mikel Bridges, and, and ultimately that's probably what it took to put it over the finish line. And when you can get a historic player like Kevin Durant, probably a top 15 player at least in the NBA all time, you go get him. But to me, not only did he come in injured and he came in in mid-February and you have to uh, get the whole roster it turned over for one, but also you got to get used to each other. You're missing a piece or two, and that's how I see the Suns here. And so that's why Nuggets pending health. You know, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray continuing to play well, other guys off the bench, and led by Jokic, who brings it every single game. That's why I'd really like to see them get to the finals. Um, although I would never not like to see a Steph, War- Steph Curry Warriors team or LeBron. I'm not one that takes those guys for granted, right? We had, what was it, like three or four years ago, people were like, I'm tired of – I do not – because I do not need to see yeah. uh, the lesser-known teams that maybe lack star power. I want to see the best of the best in the games that matter. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Coming up here at 2 o'clock, we'll be joined on the other side by Kevin Dana, play-by-play announcer of the Santa Cruz Warriors. Talk more NBA, maybe some G League. Maybe after that, we'll get into a little bit of Matt Anson. Now, since I'm sitting in, I do want to discuss that and their move to Noblesville. Really be indie team, but have home games up in Noblesville. And by the way, that passed. So that is approved last night by Noblesville city officials unanimously, nine to nothing. I'll get into that and a lot more after this timeout. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon on the Fan Midday Show on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It is the Fan Midday Show on the DriveHuber.com studios. With Scott Agnes, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison guiding us throughout the afternoon. Quick segment here. Coming around the corner, we'll have a conversation with Kevin Dana, the voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors in the NBA G League. And additionally, as we tease this to bring the Pacers tie full circle, Kevin did a number of broadcasts in the NBA app covering Victor Wembanyama. So we'll get kind of a taste of what he saw from him over the course of that season out in Paris and what in general he thought about just Victor Wembanyama's presence as a whole, what he would bring to an NBA team if the Pacers are lucky enough to hit the NBA lottery next Tuesday night. That and more NBA playoffs, Victor Wembanyama with Kevin Dana on the Fan Midday Show when we come back. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, Scott Agnes, along with Eddie Garrison. Here in the drivehubert.com studios, we continue along our journey throughout the NBA today. Joining us now, he is the play-by-play voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors, works thoroughly with the entire Warriors organization, and also had an opportunity to call a number of Victor Wembanyama games in the NBA app. It is Kevin Dana, nice enough to take some time with us. Kev, how you doing, man? Hey, doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you making time for us. I know your schedule is all over the place with the, with the G League season having wrapped up a couple weeks ago and the Warriors and Lakers still battling it out as we speak. I want to start, though, with a local angle from our perspective, which is much like every franchise that's in the lottery it's going to have representatives out there next Tuesday hoping praying doing seances if you will that Victor Wembanyama is going to end up on their roster next year uh, you saw him firsthand for a number of different broadcasts the NBA app uh, is the hype very much real from your first hand account man the, the hype is definitely very much real I mean <laughs> this, this guy Jimmy is I mean, we just haven't seen anything like him, really. It's just the, the seven four with the eight foot wingspan, with the low, tight handle that he has. I mean, shooting threes off one foot and making them. He had like a stretch earlier this year where he had like a running three off one foot in like three out of four games or something like that. And I mean, it just like became part of his bag for a little bit. And then you add that with the defensive IQ he has. I've I've seen a highlight of him. Uh, this was in a game that I didn't do where he guarded all five guys in one possession and like <laughs> eventually forced a miss and I, I think got the rebound. And he leads the French League, which is, I think people would tell you it's like a top three European domestic league or top five, somewhere in there, um, behind Spain, of course. And, you know, Turkey's pretty good. But uh, he leads that league in scoring, rebounding, and blocks. Uh, and uh, he's on a team that, quite frankly, doesn't have like great talent compared to the rest of the league, and they're second in the league out of 18 teams. And I mean, it's all because of Victor Wembanyama. The draft combines next week. Victor not among the 78 players listed uh, because he's still playing right now. Kind of a great excuse as we're joined here by Kevin Dana to talk about Victor Wembanyama. I'm curious. I know it's obviously from afar, miles and thousands of miles away here. But beyond his game, have you been able to read into how he's handled situations, handled pressure, handled being the guy and, and what NBA execs, fans, players alike are looking forward to in the future with him? 
Yeah, I mean, it it seems like, like you mentioned, I you know I'm broadcasting these games remotely. Uh, I did see him up close and personal in Las Vegas when they played Scoot Henderson and G League Ignite. That was a blast uh, too. So oh, much fun. It's incredible. That that really turned into a where were you went moment. Like, you know, hardened scouts and reporters are giggling like school children watching him do the array of things that they've never seen anyone at seven four do. But the one thing that, that does stand out is he has a very calm and composed demeanor out there. Like he'll get enthusiastic for his teammates and when he makes a big play late and he has tip jam to beat his former team with like two seconds to go in the game and he got really pumped up about that. But he, he's really calm, cool, and collected out there. Um, and he doesn't put all of his self-worth from the articles that I've read about him in basketball. Like he loves it. It's what he does, but he also considers himself an artist. Uh, he, you know, he's in the high fashion. Uh, he, he's into other things that make him kind of a more well-rounded person than just being all basketball all the time. And obviously he, he spends his a vast majority of his day training, playing, doing all that. That said, he, he isn't just someone who is going to have a bad game and then it's just going to bother him the, the rest of the week. He, he does seem to have a pretty level head about as awesome as this is, it is just basketball. There's more to life than basketball. And so I do think that that will help him. And the other thing about his mentality that I really like is that, you know, a guy after scoring 37 points being 7-4 could have shut it down after the first game in Vegas. But his agent quickly went came out and said, Bunenjai, he's not shutting it down. He's going to play this entire season with his French League team. And it's really helped him kind of discover new aspects of his game, kind of explore his game. They give him the, the green light to do anything on the court, including taking, like, contested threes with three guys draped all over him, fading away from 26 feet. Like, he's just exploring out there, and he's still 21-10 and three blocks per game. And, and so he has a real competitive motor. He wants to win. And uh, that that's something I think that will certainly bode well for him once he comes over to the NBA. Kevin Dano with us broadcaster for the NBA as well as the voice of the G League Warriors out in Santa Cruz. Nice to take some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Kevin, for years and years the NBA has continued to magnify their goal of showing basketball is, goes beyond borders, that you can find international superstars continuing to grow and expand the game. We've seen it with Giannis, we've seen it with Jokic, and, and now obviously we're seeing it here with Wembenyama. Obviously those are all great things that the league likes to see but but is this the continued second or third step in it becoming more commonplace to find the next great superstars for the nba that aren't stateside yeah i think this is kind of a byproduct of you know a project that david stern started way back in the day about making basketball appealing to the masses you know kids watching the dream team in 92 and seeing the americans stomp all over everyone beating you know Angola by 70 points or whatever it was and just cruising to a gold medal. Like those days are over because of how well, like the NBA has marketed itself to the world. And like you mentioned, we get the Giannis's, the Embiid's, the, the Jokic's, and now the Wembenyama's of the world. And look, 
the Olympics are in Paris in 2024. The Americans already lost to France in the preliminary stages in Tokyo. Didn't beat them by much in the gold medal game. I'm not saying the French are going to be favorites in 2024. I know this isn't exactly the question you asked, but I, I, I would almost think that the French would win the gold in 2024 when you add Victor Webb and Yama to that team. They might get Joel and beat too. But it's it just, yeah, more and more often we are going to see top prospects be born outside of the United States. There are a lot of good French prospects beyond Victor Wembanyama. Bilal Koulibaly, his teammates, can be a projected first-round, early second-round pick. Zachary Risa-Shea, who's playing for Asvel right now, 17 years old, he's like a top-five projected pick in 2024. Ryan Rupert, who's playing in New Zealand right now, the NBL Next Stars program, projected late lottery pick this year. Like More and more often, we are going to see top prospects come from outside of our borders. And that's exactly what we have, at least for the last five years, the MVPs, all foreign players. And I forget what the percentage is, but Adam Silver mentioning something, I want to say like 30% of the league now come from outside the United States. I forget what the exact number is, but that's the way in which uh, we're moving, just the development of the game. I think the Africa League is kind of not been what they had hoped just yet at least but that's why you also see to bring it back to the G League too you see a team in Mexico City and and the G League Ignite which hasn't really completely turned out I think as hoped but we're joined here by Kevin Dana play-by-play announcer for Santa Cruz Warriors I'm curious what do you think just in general of Mad Ant's nickname so the Mad Ants by the way are getting a new name here Kevin um, yeah. A lot of unique names when you talk about minor league sports. Where does Mad Ants stand out for you? I loved it. I mean, I remember <laughs> learning about General Matt Anthony Wayne when I, I made go. my first trip to Fort Wayne in 2013 for uh, the first round of the D-League, as it was called back then, the D-League playoffs between Santa Cruz and Fort Wayne. Three straight years, Santa Cruz and Fort Wayne met in the playoffs. I remember my lovely nights at Don Hall's guest house uh, <laughs> a couple of miles away. Uh, I used lovely um, – uh, euphemistically, I guess we could say, or that, that's not the right word. But uh, anyone who's been there, they, they know what that hotel's like. Um, but first off, I'm very upset that they're not going to be in Fort Wayne. Um, Matt Ants was a great name. It was unique to the town. I know why they have to, you know, there there was not a general Matt Anthony Wayne in Noblesville, Indiana. <laughs> um, but, uh yeah, I imagine they're going to be called the Noblesville Pacers or something like that. Uh, that's what everyone does. Of course, Santa Cruz Warriors. I think we were the first team to, to name our G League team after our NBA team. Um, and, and the league didn't like it at the time. They wanted it to be something like kind of more zany and wild, like the Red Claws or the Mad Ants or the Big Horns or something like that. Uh, I, I I'm going to miss. Uh, Fort Wayne, the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum. Uh, it's unfortunate. I remember when they filled that thing up for the 2014 uh, D-League Finals and they won their first ever championship. Um, I was in the house for that game. Uh, it was a heck of a game. Uh, Seth Curry was playing for, for Santa Cruz. Of course, he's gone on to have a nice career. But, yeah, uh, yeah part of me is really sad that Fort Wayne will be no more in the in the G. Kev, last G League tied question to you. Whenever we have an, a local angle, we, we like to give an update on it. I know that he wasn't uh, there last year, but you had an opportunity at least to have uh, former Purdue standout Trevion Williams with 
the Santa Cruz Warriors, now in the Capital City Go-Go. Uh, what you kind of saw from him during his time, uh, the former Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year, playing out there in Santa Cruz in your system. He was one of the most exciting like big men in the G League this year. I mean, just you know, just to see a guy like that, like a passing big man who is kind of doing Harlem Globetrotter esque tricks. I mean, he's not like full Harlem Globetrotter right. and one or anything like that, but like he can do some of that stuff, kind of show the ball in your face, bring it back, you know, really cheeky behind the back bounce passes. He was a lot of fun. The, the, the downside of that play is if he didn't execute the home run pass, it was a turnover the other way. And, you know, Santa Cruz gave the ball up like 21 times uh, per game this year for a good chunk of the season. I think they might have got it under 20 at the end of the year, but we had like a 34 turnover game once. It was like So the downside was there's a lot of turnovers. The upside was when a highlight was made, it was awesome. And I loved watching Travion Williams play. I, I, was, a, I was a big fan of his game, and he did some nice stuff after the trade to, to Capital City. Um, and Senators got Jordan Shackle out of that, and he was a great shooter uh, for for the C Dubs. But yeah, dude, that that guy's fun to watch, man. I I, I really am a Travion Williams fan. There's actually a lot of indie connections. I think about Seth Cooper, the head coach, was a, yep. a manager at IU. Noel Hightower was a player development intern with the Pacers this yep. two years ago, and this year, first year as a head coach. Nick Kerr, son of Steve Kerr, and so, um, what do you enjoy most about calling Santa Cruz Warriors games and seeing these guys develop in their own careers? Right. Yeah. No. I I just love watching the G League. I, I don't know. I, I grew up liking more kind of like underground music, if you will, and mm-hmm. the G League's kind of the underground. Like, there's a lot of good talent if you look just under the, the cream of the crop that that's waiting to kind of burst through. And, and, you know, I've had a chance to call games featuring Rudy Gobert, Patrick Beverly, Seth Curry. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I've seen Steph Curry practice and Clay Thompson scrimmage in the G League, DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just been – and it's awesome to see, like, the guys that you wouldn't know about otherwise, the Kiwi Gardeners of the world, you know, for – I mean, that name probably doesn't mean anyone much to people in Indianapolis, but you know, a, a Bay Area hoop mixtape legend get his shot in the G League and then score 23 points on Dennis Schroeder in the fourth quarter of a game to lead an 18-point comeback. Just stories like that uh, that, that I absolutely love. And you know, being able to say that you saw that player before they became what they are today. Um, like I didn't do a Chris Middleton game, but Chris Middleton was mm-hmm. in the G League and you know his his Probably the NBA wasn't super secure the first couple of years, and then he blossoms into an all-star. So, yeah, just stuff like that I, I, I just love. And the pace of the game is fun. First to 125 wins a lot of the time. You can get And you get just some, some wild, crazy games and some see some interesting gimmicks over the years. So that's what I love about it. I've been there 11 years, and uh, obviously I'd love to be in the NBA one day, but if I'm there another 40 years, uh, I wouldn't be too mad about that. Kevin Dana with us, play-by-play voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors. Nice to take some time here on the Fan Midday Show. All right, Kev, we've we've had our fun. We've had positivity. We've had enjoyment. We've had some laughs, but mm. you knew we were going to arrive here at some point. Yeah. I will say one thing, though. 
I'm not counting out Golden State until I see the body. We joked about that uh, yesterday. Your thoughts on how this series has taken a turn for the worst out in Golden State? I know on on 95.7 The Game, you've hosted a Warriors roundtable already earlier this week. What's the pulse of the fan base? What's the pulse inside Golden State? And uh, does this thing get to seven? I, I think the the pulse is at least you know, the, the the fans that I've listened to calling the show and you know calling the radio station stuff driving up to the station uh, is it's not super doom and gloom yet just because you're conditioned to expect Steph Clay and Draymond to figure a way out and they figured their way out of a three one hole before in 2016, and then, of course, uh, in the very next round, gave up a 3-1 lead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously they're seven years older now. Um, the, the, the roster around them isn't what it was with Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, or when they had Kevin Durant. Uh, they're, they're not as deep as they used to be. That being said, like, no, they didn't win game one. No, they didn't win game four. There is an alternate universe where this is at least tied and maybe they're up 3-1. To me, it comes down to, I uh, don't want to be overconfident about Game 5, but I feel pretty good that they're going to win Game 5. It just comes down to, can you win a Game 6? If you can win a Game 6, and Golden State has won a road playoff game in 28 straight series ever since the start of Stephen Curry playing playoff games for the Warriors, they're going to they got a chance. And so they haven't won a road game in this series yet. And game six is their only opportunity left to do so. And it's going to come down to to that, assuming that they get past the Lakers tonight, which I know is not a sure thing, but I I think a lot of people around the Warriors feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to get this one. Steve Kerr said on our airways in 95-7 yesterday that the, the team is now excited about trying to, you know, take on this new challenge, and, and they have played their best basketball all year with their backs against the wall. They're down to nothing to Sacramento. They found another gear, and they, they were really close in those first two Sacramento games. Anyway, um, when they, you know, they won eight of their last ten regular season games to avoid the play-in uh, tournament in the last uh, last day of the regular season, they got some help from you know Sacramento and Portland resting guys, not, not exactly trying to win, but. When they have absolutely needed wins this year, even though they were 44-38, and 38, they found a way to get those wins. And I'm not saying they're going to win this year. I'm not saying that they, can, that they are actually going to do this. But I feel confident that this is going to be a deep series. Focusing on tonight, last thing on my end, what is it that needs to happen tonight? I mean, obviously the, the the home and road splits are what they are. They're a significantly better team at home. But is it a 35-plus performance from Steph? Is it the Splash Bros combining for 70? Is it Jordan Poole, you know, putting anything in the basket for however many minutes he gets? What, what does it come down to tonight in terms of the offensive prowess of this team? Yeah, you know, I, I think someone needs to come along for the ride with Steph a little bit. Like, Wiggins scored... 17 points, but even he after the game last uh, Monday night saying, there are shots I need to hit. They gave him wide open threes in the fourth quarter, and Wiggins really couldn't cash them in. Clay Thompson's going to need to score more than the nine points he did, and he took a couple of really bad shots down the stretch, and he knows it. And You could see the exasperated look on <laughs> her and Draymond's face after one of those shots, 
in, you know, near the corner, kind of that angle three right by uh, their bench, down one with like a minute 40 to go. Uh, just a shot that didn't need to be taken there. Uh, and But that's kind of, you know, but Clay can also make that shot. and Maybe he makes that shot here in, in game five. I don't know how much Jordan Poole we're going to see. I kind of think it's come down to, you throw him out there for a stint in the first half, and he and if he produces and he plays well, then he gets another stint in the second half. And if he plays well there, you keep him on the floor. But I don't think he's a guaranteed – I mean, he only played like 10 minutes uh, in game four. I don't think he's a guaranteed, you know, 25-plus minute-a-night guy for, for for game five, for sure, considering the, the way he has played. I thought they had a lot of good stuff with the GP2 – Getting the start, I wonder if he's going to start again today. I've, I have no idea, but like he got layup after layup after layup when they were involving, you know, he was being guarded by Anthony Davis and they were involving him in the screen and then there was nobody to protect the basket and it was just open layups all day for GP2. I imagine Darvin Ham will have an adjustment for that should GP2 get the start again, but Look, yeah, Stephen Curry was tremendous even though he was 3 of 14 from 3 in game 4. Uh, but he is going to need a little more help than he got uh, in game four if they want to prolong this series. He's Kevin Dana. Take some time with us on the fan. You can follow him on Twitter at Kev0408. Kevin, always appreciate talking to you. And in regards to that lineup answer, you know, we might not know, but let's, it's 223. Shams will probably have that broken in an hour and a half. Just give it time. You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, and Steve Kerr will be very happy about that. <laughs> exactly. <too. laughs> Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it, my man. Hey, thank you so much. That was an incredible moment before, oh, before the last game, especially for us in media. But <laughs> <laughs> the fact he, he basically was like, yeah, we have, a, I think he was a consultant or, or uh, what something inside that's directing to him, which in other words is also him saying, we got to prevent that. Yeah. No more of this. And if you're listening and you're that guy, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Because there, there's gamesmanship to it, right? Like we, we can joke all the time. How much does it really matter? You've seen it matter for Golden State in their history of making a lineup change or lineup tweak here or there, going going small during the Death Star lineup days, uh, not even of Kevin Durant, but before that one, it was just, okay, we're going to put Andre Iguodala yeah. out there. We're going to go super small like they did against the Cavs in 2015. He's been known to make adjustments, and yeah, I imagine that's very frustrating when in some avenues teams are able to keep things close to the chest. We, we talked about how incredible it was that the – Colts were able to keep secret what they were going to do on the NFL and on the local side of things in the NFL draft. The Warriors couldn't even do it for a lineup for a playoff game. So, yeah, I I, I totally get Steve Kerr's frustration there. It did provide, like you mentioned, though, a, a good comedy moment. An incredible quote. Yeah. And, and it's one thing to know an hour before. It's another to know by four hours before yeah. the game because, in general, again, this is one team getting desperate and making changes, so it's not too significant. But if you know what the other team's going to start with with their hand, it does give you a little leg up, and that's something you want to keep as close as you can headed into it. But you did mention what the Colts are able to do. Really good documentary on their uh, the YouTube, their 30-plus minutes yep. about that process, and I appreciate the Colts being one of the franchises willing to take you a little bit behind the curtain. I think that's something all franchises should do to at some point. Right. Less about writing the daily news and more about taking fans where they can't go, providing them something that they're not going to provide, quite frankly, to the rest regular media because they're in-house, because there's that extra trust factor, because they can have, you know, Chris Ballard say, you know what, don't use that clip or I, I, I don't like what I said there. Don't show that. Um, that's the comfort he can have with those cameras. But that was really good. But um, 
Yeah, a lot of good conversations there between the Victor stuff, and that's the thing I'm most interested in hearing and seeing from him. We've seen what he's been able to do on the court, the physical specimen that he is, but much like LeBron, I guess 20 years ago, is being deemed basically the chosen one. He, to his credit, knocked it out of the park, has not just lived up to expectations, but to me, the most impressive thing LeBron's done is cr- crushed through all expectations yeah. and not gotten in trouble, none of that. I'll be curious to see how Victor handles stuff like that, especially not being from the United States, coming in, feeling like an outsider to begin. Boy, is some franchise going to get very lucky in less than a week when we find out the results Tuesday night next week in Chicago. And to that end about delivering on expectations, you look at, and obviously wildly different expectations set from the get-go of Giannis and of Victor Wembanyama, but the chatter about, well, when is Giannis finally going to win a ring didn't really ascend to the type of level that Wembanyama's already at before he's even stepped on a court <laughs> in the NBA Tell about year four or year five when they're finally starting to gel. And it's like, okay, while well, this guy really is one of the best in the NBA, when is he going to finally capture a championship for his franchise? When he's going to add a, a, a ring to his trophy case. And for Victor, it's the exact opposite. The, the LeBron parallels are, Great ones to draw there, and I, I caution it a little bit because you're setting the expectations just all the way to the sky, right? Like, it's almost destined for Wembenyama to fall short of that, and it likely won't be immediate success right away. Maybe it is. Maybe maybe he is truly a unicorn and lights the league on fire from day one. But to your aspect of that there, Scott, if he doesn't, and if there's struggles, how does he respond to it? How does the franchise that gets him respond to it? Inevitably, they're going to be, to be clear. Yes, yes. It's, so then it's a matter of what you right. just said. is Then what it looks like. I mean, he's going to go to a team, clearly. That's awful. Right. It's going to be one of the teams. They're down there for a reason and have those high chances of of getting the rights to the number one pick for a reason. Your Detroit, your Houston's, etc. And so you'll see very quickly what he's like as a face of a team immediately. You'll see right away, can he carry a team? And and I think it's fair to have high expectations. I think I kind of go back to what Chris Ballard said a little bit about Anthony Richardson. He's a monster in a good way with Victor, but give it some time yep. to assimilate to the league, to understand what it's like to be a pro, to play in this league, to face this competition he quite frankly has not faced. But, you know, I, this is going to be this is different than Giannis because Giannis fourteen teams passed on him. It was not something automatic. This was a guy that was skinny, thin like spaghetti, just had nothing to him. Right? This was quite frankly the Bucks taking a serious chance on him. Pacers were very interested, but it was the Bucks that pulled the trigger yeah. and they sat back and gave him time. Victor's not going to be afforded that because he's going to be the number one pick. I want him to end up in Indiana like everybody in our listening audience and our airways does. <laughs> Literally anywhere but Detroit. I don't want to see him in division. See, I think Detroit would be a really good situation though for him. Oh, don't be wrong. To be clear, that's why I don't want him there. I don't I don't I don't want to be looking up within division for see, the next fifteen years. <laughs> like uh, yeah, and, and, and I'm yeah, going I, a different way. See, I it's want not to like s- the Colts though, where yeah. the Pacers have the chance to trade up. Sure. I mean you go back into and obviously the, the Pistons probably wouldn't have had as bad a season as they did if injuries would have gotten involved for a second straight year. but And then they conveniently lost. 
those two. Yeah. So exactly, you have a pathway, and then you are able to manipulate. The one it or I don't not. want. The one I don't want is Houston. They don't deserve it. Uh-oh. I think that that franchise <laughs> has been run poorly over the what the last that. four or five years. I get that. San Antonio would be really interesting. Would this be the last go around? It would be the last go around for Pop. He's great with international players, as we saw with Manu and uh, Tony Parker. Tony Parker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Those couple guys. Because otherwise, and this is purely me just enjoying the conversation. Part of me was like, if you're Pop, is it time for a new challenge? Go two, three years with Milwaukee with Giannis and then hang it up? Because right now, assuming they don't get Victor, I mean, you're just kind of rebuilding. I don't know. There's fun to use Giannis's phrase in the daily process, having daily victories. Uh, Detroit would be fun. Charlotte's the other one. He cannot go to Charlotte. That would be miserable. That's a terribly run franchise that doesn't have a lot of players. They're a team that needs to kind of blow it up. But for me, the fun ones outside of the Pacers, obviously, selfishly, to me, would be Detroit and San Antonio. I want to take a quick break. And there's a question on that lottery that I I want to bring up when we get a second. Perhaps a change in direction for one owner. This is me wildly speculating with what could happen in next week's lottery. Plus, Eddie, I'm doing it. I'm taking Todd's advice. We have a giveaway. We have a giveaway to be had, and we're going to tie it in to Scott's favorite thing, the schedule being announced. The Colts are headed to Germany. We have a three-judge panel here. (laughs) Best yodels, 317-239-1070. You get the all-clear three stars around from us. You get a prize pack that includes a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Qualls and Carb Day. 317-239-1070. Get those pipes ready here on The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. That's what we're looking for. At least that first part, anyway. I don't need you to go on a full tangent or, or a soliloquy <laughs> for us. That's what we're looking for. We talk yodeling for an opportunity to get a prize pack that includes a pair of tickets to Indy 500 Qualls and Indy 500 Carb Day. I can't wait for you that. You want to give the yodels a, 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 the yodeling or, or, or Carb Day? Just want to make sure we're all uh, safe. The latter, to be clear. <laughs> give me Carb Day. I'm ready for qualifying. Let's make Bump Day. In the top tier group going. Oh, I love it. Right Give me right weather here. like this, yep. by the way. Oh, picturesque. Fantastic. Yep. Well, if you want an opportunity at that, 317-239-1070. Again, there'll be opportunities to win throughout the week, and we'll tease the rest of that here in just a second. But first, let's go to the phone lines. Again, we need your best yodel in honor of the Colts headed to Germany. Let's go to Steve, line one. Steve, what do you got? Yeah. All right, here we go. All right, all right. I'll take that. That was a good start for us. We've we've taken your uh, we've taken your sample and the willingness to be bold. Yeah, appreciate that. That, That's half the battle. The whole thing on 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 this entire process is an A for effort to begin with. Just calling in. That's not going to get you a prize pack, but hey, it at least uh, talks about the type of person that you are. Is Eddie still takes a couple more calls calls in this contest? Let's go to Mark again if you want to join at 317-239-1070. Mark, the floor is yours. Best yodel. Yodel-y-hoo, yodel-y-hoo. All right. 
That's Mark. Last one. At least at this point, if you want to jump in, now's your chance. Through at seven two three nine ten seventy. Danny, best yodel. What you got? Ooh, I appreciate hitting the high notes. All right, gentlemen, time to convene. Eddie, who would you go with first? Steve, Mark, or Danny? I didn't get to hear Steve because I was answering the phone on Danny. Okay. Okay, so you're you're off of that. Okay. Uh I think I'm gonna roll with Danny. I like the energy. I like the high notes. He 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 held on to it a little long in good meaning good. Oh, hold on. We're gonna throw him on. We got one more. Okay. I'm, caller four, mystery caller. Who is this? And uh let's hear it. All right, this is Jim, and here we go. You don't let that Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, so we got four to work with right now, Jimmy. We, we understand, you know, how chaotic and, and, and put yourself out there in this regard it is. Uh, I'm with Scott. I, I love the high note aspect of it. I'm, I'm going to go Danny. So that effectively oh, eliminates Eddie. We got one more. Do we want to throw him in there? It's, uh, it's up to you guys. Throw him into the fire. I don't know who it is. Bring well, it on. Mystery one more and then we're done. All right. Caller five. I don't know who caller five is. This is Joel. Bring Here's it on, us. Joel. All right, you ready? All right. Mm. That was good as well. Did it sway you? It, it did a little bit, yeah. Okay, so we have Joel. We got one we, more. We extended this segment, Come and on. I love it. Let's go. One more. Let's <laughs> one ride. More. What's your name first, sir? Broncos Country. JJ. All right, make sure you turn off your radio, please, real quick, because I don't want an echo, echo yodel, even though that would be authentic, and I appreciate that. I got you right here, brother. All right, you said it was, is AJ or JJ? JJ, 2J. All right, gotcha. JJ, what do you got? You're up. Hey, here we go. Yo, 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 Appreciate it, JJ. Thanks for weighing in. To me, I think it was caller like four, Joel. three or four, right? Joel, Danny or Joel, Danny or Joel. Is that fair, Jimmy? For yes, you, I would agree. So, Steve, Mark, we appreciate you. Do we have them both on the line? Should we do round two? Oh, we do. They're let's do that. <laughs> All right. I want that. All right. Who do Let, we want first, Danny? No, let's go to Joel first. All right, Joel. Round yes, two. Sir. This is the finals. Let's hear it again. All right. Well done. I like that. Clean dismount. Strong. Yes. Well said. Danny, you're on. You're on the floor. Last word. Man, hit the this note is tough. And he held it. I'm going. This Joel. is a tough one. I'm going Joel. You figure it out, gentlemen. The high notes for me was it. I think I like Joel. Oh, well, my vote doesn't matter then. All right. Joel, it is. Joel, congratulations. And by the way, thanks to everyone for for joining this this segment and being willing to put yourself out there and have a little fun with us, right? Indeed. Hang on the line, Joel. Again, that'll be a prize pack that includes a pair of tickets to any 500 Qualls and Carb Day. If you would like to stay a part of contest opportunities, go to 1075thefan.com. There's a way you can enter online as well. And we'll be giving away a four-pack or a two-pack of those respective events 
Again tomorrow, back to trivia, though. That's gonna, a that's a phenomenal prize pack, too. Yeah, it is. It's, well it, done. It, it's as good as any as you could hope for and, and well-earned today, no doubt about that. All we that. need is that IndyCar sound, Eddie, and that's another pep of coffee for me right here. No kidding. Before the break, Jimmy, you had you were teasing something. I was. It's still sitting in my head, ready for that tease. You remember what that was? Do you want me to break it out, or do you want me to leave it on the table for when we come around the other side? I'll, 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 I'll right, tease gonna... it again. I'll tease it again. NBA draft <laughs> oh, lottery. There's been wait. talks of a potential shift in ownership once okay. again in the NBA. Does the idea of Victor Wembanyama maybe change that? Plus bets around the corner as well to close the fan midday show with Jimmy Cook and Scott Agnes here on the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 247 on The Circle. You're listening to the Fan Midday Show on this glorious Wednesday afternoon with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes here, and I should promo myself a second. Follow along at fieldhousefiles.com and 1070thefan.com as well for my Pacers coverage. All next week be at the NBA Draft Lottery Tuesday, followed by the Draft Combine. So in Chicago all week next week for the Pacers, which is hopefully, Jimmy, the third straight and final time in the short term where the Pacers are part of the lottery conversation. They were so good for so long. I think it was... 25 of 31 years can uh, that they reach the NBA postseason, and that's what fans want to get back to. Um, but it should be a fun week next week. Earlier in the show we talked about it, and I want to rehash this because significant news for the Colts. We know one game on their schedule. The rest will come out coming up, what, Friday. But Colts coming up on Sunday, November 12th, 9.30 a.m. We'll be playing against the Patriots. Not here. They're going overseas to Frankfurt Stadium in Germany. It's their first time playing overseas since the Jaguars in London. They played three international preseason games before that. Really cool opportunity, a unique one, and especially so, Jimmy, for a young team, young core, let's say, right? Jonathan Taylor, Anthony Richardson can get some bonding with their new head coach, and a lot of fun can be had over there while also trying to win a game. It's a great opportunity for any team to be able to take a journey like that overseas I, I get it from the aspect of logistically oh maybe it messes up practices and, and the balance of the bye week and all that which we're going to find out here in just a couple days that NFL schedule release can't wait for that to and that's one day that does matter Woo! exactly but back you to too. where this could be for the franchise or at least the early goings of this young new look Colts by week 10 I would expect Anthony Richardson to be under center, like I, I I'm believe surprised you're going that far out. I, I, but I think that's a fair cushion, maybe oh, even easily. to an extreme. Yes, to be I've, able to say that if you're by week ten, you would be a little surprised unless it was clear and obvious from the Colts brass he's sitting his first year. Unless you get that kind of clear statement by the time we're two weeks away from the start of the regular season. Otherwise, yes, I'd be pretty surprised, which is why we joked about right now Jonathan exactly. Taylor's on the promotional posters and, 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 and digital signage and everything. Very well could be Anthony Richardson by that time. And even if it is a 9-30 game, it's not prime time of a playoff game. It gets an opportunity to have the Colts in their next face win over a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. 
across the way in Germany, potentially, if he's able to have a great game. I mean, Richardson has been a Colt for about two weeks yes. now. Yep. This poster, I'm sure the NFL or Colts made, has probably been in the works for two months. Sure. Just to put something on logistics. I know that probably the equipment manager for the Colts has known about this trip and has been scheduling logistics. And I know from the Pacers' standpoint, before they played overseas in India, they had executives and others go over there like a year ahead of time to scout out hotels, logistics, and all that. And I'm almost certain that Colts yeah. and NFL people have already done that. But that's the big news from today and, and concerning the Colts. And Jimmy, for the last two segments, you've teased something. Can we get to it already, please? So here it is. All right. With the NBA draft lottery taking place next week. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this because I just did a ton of search before bringing up this tease. We've joked for years and years about the inability for the Charlotte Hornets while Michael Jordan is there to be able to draft well. To my knowledge, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and if I am, then the segment's dead, and that's my fault, and this is a horrible segment. He is not officially sold yet. No. He is still the owner. They hit the lottery. Aren't you really thinking about that? Hanging around? Building around Wimbanyama? I'd be. I mean, I know you could cash in, but MJ doesn't need the money. And the only mark on him post-basketball, really, has been, yeah, he's stunk as an owner. That that For changes that a lot re- of that. No, seriously, <laughs> if he's a real generational talent and they think he's going to be the next LeBron or the next MJ, no one's gone that far yet, I would have serious reconsideration of, okay, maybe I want to hang around here and see what we can build with this guy. Twofold here. Sure. First of all. And the brand, by the way, too. Jordan Brand, get him signed. I don't know if Wimbledon is already signed oh, somewhere, yeah. but yeah. no, I don't think he has. So again, there's a whole long game angle there. To me, there's two thoughts. One, if I'm MJ, I'm absolutely staying on board. One, because your value just went up. Right. Yesterday's price is not today's price <laughs> yes. if Victor's on your team. But second of all, for the good of the league, for competition, for those not being owners who want to pile up wins against the Charlotte Hornets, I don't want MJ as an owner because he's shown that he's a bad owner unproductive owner both in his hiring and the players and how he's drafted the influence that I believe he has there has not come up well and I want the Charlotte Hornets to succeed like you want any other franchise now again if you're another franchise you're like hey if we can one dysfunctional franchise helps us out in the long term but no I would unless it has verbally been agreed upon that's really hard to go back on right why wouldn't you want to stay there right I mean, I just I think it's too too easy of an answer because again, he, Agreed. yes, he'll make a big profit on it, but he doesn't need it, right? Like he, he still clearly enjoys the game of basketball. That's a fascinating twist to all that, depending on again a big if if they win the lottery next week. We haven't heard his motivations behind it because you're right, he doesn't necessarily need that money. The thought I wonder is is he just kind of over it? Very well, could he, be. You know, if you don't have to be a present owner but you do still get the phone calls and they're involved. Maybe he wants to be like Larry Bird and just get away from basketball for good. Yeah, be done with it. Maybe show up occasionally at an NBA, you know, when they honor the top 100 players of all time. Maybe he just wants to step away for a little bit and all of that. But uh, as we wrap up this show today, it's been a good one. Joel Erickson, Tim Bontemps, as well as Kevin Dana join the show. And as always with my partner Jimmy, it's time for that special segment to end each show. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my 
way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, sticking with the NBA playoffs as well as one MLB matchup. We'll start on the Diamonds. We're going to take the Tampa Bay Rays to one of the money line against the Baltimore Orioles. That at minus 115 juice right now. Switching now to the NBA, going to lay the 7.5 with the Golden State Warriors. Mm. Think they win going away tonight against the Lakers. And that happens because of a resurgence from the Splash Brothers. Give me Steph Curry over 30.5 total points and Clay Thompson over 22.5 to force a game six. Last one for you. Miami closes it out, plus Monday night, plus 140 at the Garden. You can take it for them <laughs> against New York. I'll be honest. It's a rough day yesterday. Rough day for myself and Eddie. He might have had some I wins. I did one. not. I went okay, one you went one and one. one. I myself went 0 oh, 3 and 1. So we're now 2 5 and 2 for the week. Looking for a bounce back today with the plays. Eddie, anything you like? Don't even get me started on my one miss because Jalen Brown shooting under 50% at the free throw line <laughs> is just ridiculous. Like, make if you shoot 50%, we cash the over 24 and a half. That's, that's a tough one. That's, that's, I'm, I'm sick about it. I had that same feeling on Monday night. With Anthony Davis being at 23 points, over 24 and a half with nine minutes to go. A <laughs> couple errant passes. The Lonnie Walker show broke Jim, some hearts, broke my wallet. They're not exactly the same, but aren't you a little concerned for the Warriors that the same thing might happen like the Celtics last night? Where Who among us thought the Celtics would not win and probably in a dominating fashion? No way would they lose at home. No way would they not take the lead in the series. They are the better team. And then they produced what we saw last night. There's Oof. more doubt for me in the ability of a complete performance, not from the role players, but from Anthony Davis and LeBron James tonight. They're exhausted. More so than yeah. there would have been with James Harden, Joel Embiid last night. So so no to answer that question. Did you have anything? Was there anything you wanted to throw out today? I was going to say, take the Mets minus one and a half. They got Verlander on the mound. Hunter Green's been bang- hit up a little bit, and the Reds bullpen is not good. When you look at these series, obviously I know we have about a minute left before we get a step away, but when you look at these series tonight, both closeouts, one closeout, one continues to a game six. How do you envision tonight playing out? For me, it's Heat take care of business again and Warriors force game First, six. I acknowledge the, the last few days, games have not gone at all how I had envisioned them going. I mean, last night last night I called Denver, but Boston, I thought they would show something for themselves. I thought they would win by 12 points rather than losing by 12. That was a stunner. Um, and that the Joel continues to be able to produce like he has. Much like Miami continuing to win, I, they were a team primed to blow it up, much like I think Charlotte Hornets. And maybe they're showing that they don't need to make a complete overhaul, but moves do need to be made this offseason for them to be a contending team. So the way we've seen New York show out in a bad way leads me to believe Miami will win and close out the series, but purely because the Lakers looked gas. And it took Lonnie Walker the fourth, who your casual fan has never heard of, has not known that he played in San Antonio, had to come up big for them. For that reason alone, I'll take the Warriors tonight. Playoffs always deliver. It's going to be a fun one again. That wraps up the Fan Midday Show. For Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, I'm Scott Agnes. Thanks for listening. JMV is next.